This is the Joy of Geek. Welcome to the Joy of Geek podcast, episode 46. I'm Rich Lepore. Kevin Schaefer. And we are here to talk about one of your favorite subjects of all, right? Yeah, just a little. And uh, yeah. and some and somebody that I've come to respect a lot, especially yeah. after Interstellar, hint. Mm-hmm. Um, but we will be talking about the life, career, maybe not the life so much, but the career. Yeah, but I mean, the, the evolution per- and auteur of Christopher Nolan. The genius of yeah. no- Christopher Nolan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his brother's pretty genius, too. He is. He doesn't get enough credit. We'll By the way, as it were. We will um, be talking about But that. anyway, so we're going to talk about... Um, uh, Christopher Nolan, and why are we talking about Christopher Nolan? Well, Dunkirk just recently came out. Of course. Um, very, very, very well critically received. Yep. Um, it's definitely an interesting movie. Surprisingly short, both for a war movie and for a Nolan yeah, film. Yeah, it, it is. It's not, not woefully necessary. Right. I don't. I think movies have gotten a little long personally. Um, but it is. It's um, no interstellar it's, in terms of like. Yeah. It's short. Yeah. It's short in, in in that way. Um. It definitely doesn't overstay its welcome. But anyway, we're gonna do a a full review at the end of mm-hmm. the podcast of Dunkirk as sort of our main event. But f- before that, uh, we're gonna eschew news a little bit. There's been some news, but. Not really very much, so yeah. we're not going to talk about that. A little bit of Star Wars, nothing. Little little chit chat yeah. about uh, you know further films after off, what's yeah. coming after Han Solo, right? right, right. In terms of the the mid year projects, so uh, we could talk about that when there's something more firm to discuss. Sure. Um, but in the meantime, we are going to be talking about um, really the whole the whole film filmography of filmography of and all. We're going to kind of walk through each of the films he's directed. Um, most of these I've seen multiple times. The only ones I've only seen once each are following an insomnia. Um, so those may be a little more limited. Well, they're also the earliest. They are the the ones that, you know, yeah, yeah. they're a little harder to find. Um, well, more following than insomnia, but, um, but anyway, um, so we'll kind of walk through those. He's got a 10 film career so far. I think 11. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, I have to count, but, um, and then we'll also do what we've been watching to start off with. Right. Um, but yeah, so it'll be a fun episode. I'm really excited. Okay, cool. Um, well, without further ado, I think we should start with our funny story. Okay, um, let's do it. So, so Kevin, <laughs> Kevin had already seen Valerian, right? Um, which, uh, which, which was actually you enjoyed a lot. Right? I really enjoyed. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's one of those where, like, um, I think if you're a fan of the Fifth Element, which I am, um, I think you'll really enjoy. It's got some amazing visuals, uh, and then. I really like the story. I think the episodic narrative in it worked much better than I expected it to. Um, the dialogue is pretty laughably bad, but um, and the characters at the end. Aren't and the, great. the acting is not at all like uh, is far from spectacular, let's just say the least. Um, but it's still I. Um, but I, overall, I really enjoyed it, and I told Rich I wouldn't mind seeing it again because uh, he hadn't seen it yet. So we and that it was a spectacle. And it was a spectacle. So what you really need to see it. In you really the gotta see it in theaters. Yep. So um, with that info in mind yeah. and the fact that Kevin generously or or maybe uh, because you just wanted to see it again. Yeah, no, I did. Uh, yeah, also yeah, yeah. Uh, offered to go with me a second time. So we yeah. we look in uh, the movie listings and oh my god, a week and a half after this movie came out, I'm exaggerating. Oh, it's probably yeah. two and a half. Yeah, it was gone. Yeah, I mean gone. And and, and you and know, I knew it tanked to the box office, but man, it was like it's interesting. Yeah. You know, it really illustrated to me when you see that movies tank, 
if movies don't meet certain thresholds, yeah. apparently this in this day and age, yeah. studios or, or producing production companies, whoever it is that does the, the actual release and, and determination of the future of that film, they pull it. Yeah. I mean, they pull it fast. That movie was gone within definitely within three weeks of release to yeah. the point where you couldn't see it anywhere. And maybe if you're in a big city, you could find it somewhere. You certainly couldn't find it here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Nah, um, and so there was like two theaters playing it. Uh, one was obscure and I'd never heard of it. The other one was, it was a, a, cinema. a legit, yeah, yeah, you yeah. would think cinema, right? Right, right. Um, so we, it's forty five minutes roughly from from Kevin's place, yeah. where we were, were recording today, and so we uh, take the track. Yeah, um, we, we head out there. We head out to the uh, to the car mic. Um, it's a little dilapidated of a building. I'm burying the lead on purpose. No, right? I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's no, a little it's... bit dilapidated of a building. Um, but we go in, uh, hopeful as ever. We buy yeah. our tickets for Valerian. Notice that there's only one show, so yeah. they actually took a theater away from Dunkirk, as it happens. Yeah. Um, like the three o'clock show. And yeah. they slotted Valerian in. Yeah, yeah. So I was a little worried already. I, I don't know if I ever mentioned this to you. I was a little worried that like it was going to be a little bit smaller screen. Right, wasn't right. going to be as nice a theater because it's not you know that right. important a film for them. And then we get in there. And uh, uh, what, <laughs> what do we see when we get into the theater, Kevin? So we come in, and there's this huge slash on the screen on the bottom left-hand corner. And it's, I mean, not just like on the side of the wall, but right on the screen. It looked like someone just took a knife and slashed the screen right there. And then we see the, you know, opening commercials playing and all that. And the projector is incredibly hazy. And it is a small theater, too. So it's like it it's like not like... that much bigger than my, my 55 inch at home. I yeah, mean, I swear yeah. it's like it, it it's like half of all, you know, people that project movies on their wall in like yeah. their room. It's like smaller than that. Right, right. It was laughable. Yeah. And then you also noticed, in addition to being hazy, it had these like like uh, uh interference lines yeah, going yeah through like it. going right through the middle of the screen and then and it would scroll down and it would have these yeah, yeah, lines yeah. so so yeah. here i am in this position and you'd seen it already you, right you were so super like, just like let's do whatever yeah you know yeah. and i'm sitting here thinking oh my god i have no option to ever see valerian in theaters again probably yeah. and here i am at the one showing they have in raleigh and it's unwatchable yeah yeah so i, I mean and this gash was it wasn't just like <laughs> a little slit it was like a dude took a pocket knife yeah. like you said like was probably pissed at the movie or something slashes the fucking screen and it like opened up like a gaping wound yeah um it was horrible and it wasn't below where the film is projected it was right where the film yeah the bottom corner of the screen it was unbelievable i kind of wish i had taken a picture we should have what were we thinking (laughs) what we were thinking let's get the hell out of here yeah pretty much so anyway that led us um to make the decision to leave um it just wouldn't have been worth staying to see that thing i mean it was it was ridiculous so we left and we were like what are we gonna see and although the two choices um were uh dark tower and atomic blonde and a lot of people would say now we I should kinda, have chosen. I wish I had chosen Atomic <laughs> We should have chosen I, Atomic Blonde. I was talking with a friend at the comic shop the other day, and she loved it. So I was like, "Dang it!" Well, it's based on a comic. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, it's yeah. a big. It's a big deal. That movie's right. supposedly fantastic. I don't right, think it's right. like a smash hit, but it's doing well. Right. Critics right. like it. Yeah. Um, but. I also felt like kind of a perfect opportunity to like have an excuse to see the Dark Tower. At least we didn't pay money for it. We paid money for Valerian. So yeah, so yeah. technically Dark yeah. Tower didn't get our our, yeah, our yeah. hard earned uh, ducats. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was lame. But anyway, um, it it just so we walk into Dark Tower. Yeah. Um, it was just starting, so I was like, awesome, yeah. Idris Elba, Matthew McConaughey. How bad can it be? Um, there's a kid in it. And, um, you go ahead and share your review because I'll get mine. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. okay. So I, I mean, first of all, I, I I'm I'm on record as saying that 
expectations are very important right, when you're right. talking about any movie. And he came in with really low. Really low yeah, expectations. Yeah. I mean, I had heard that this thing was a train wreck. I have a friend who is the biggest uh, Stephen King fan I've ever met, and, and, and we travel in circles where people are fans of this shit. Sure. Um, so this, I mean, this girl loves Stephen King, read every book. It is like her favorite novel of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, obviously she's read all the Gunslinger and all the Dark Tower stuff and all the through the peephole shit, the extra stuff that, you know, tons of stuff. Like yeah. everything about Stephen King that's ever been released, all the Mr. Mercedes novels, everything. She doesn't even want to see it. Yeah. She's yeah. just like, it's some kind of sequel. They made a huge, you know, uh, uh, pigs whatever of it. What's that? Is it pigs breakfast? Something weird. They, uh, they made a they made a mess of this movie, yeah. and she doesn't even want to see it. And so, I I still kind of wanted to to, to give it a chance. So we, we we go in, we check it out, and it it's it's mediocre. I mean, you know, to me, it wasn't it wasn't a bad bad movie. Um, it was um. Again, I went in with really low expectations, and so I had, like, an okay time. But I think what made it good for me um, was the fact Idris Elba was still great, even though he had no material to work with. McConaughey yeah. was – he was – see, in his case, Idris is um, – still had the opportunity to say that awesome line about, yeah. I don't shoot with my gun, I shoot with my heart. Those who don't shoot with their gun forgot the face of their father, et cetera, et cetera. He says that line about 18 times. About, yeah. But yeah, still, yeah. it's a good line, and he says it well. So he, he kind of got some opportunities to be a little badass, especially mm. with the gun and the curving, kind yeah. of like that movie Wanted did. Um, but McConaughey just, it, it didn't work. And he is such a brilliant actor, as we'll talk about in Interstellar mm. and other things he's done. He's a brilliant actor. Mm. Um, amazing, right, considering that his his beginnings was Ridgemont High. Was it Ridgemont? Is that the one he's No, in? um... Uh, the Richard Linklater. Days oh, and Days and Confused. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. So his start was, you know, that character where he's like, you know all what right, I love right, about high right. school? I like the girls. Uh, what is he? I always get older, but the girls stay the same, the same age. age. Yeah. It's cool. You know, but anyway. I own that movie. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great movie. But, you know, he's become a great actor. But for some reason in this, he just, he had no good opportunities. We he, had nothing to work with. And, I mean, I don't know if it was his choice or the director told him to just walk around pretty motionless the whole time and try to deliver the incredibly corny lines in a classic supervillain kind of manner but it was just yeah he had nothing to work with and i think he kind of phoned it in too but he really he really kind of did now i will say this about that movie the stuff that makes it really interesting to me why it's only mediocre and not bad is because it it does use enough of the book's lore, which I don't know the books, personally. I know there's a gunslinger. I know he travels the wasteland trying to kill the man in black. I know there's a boy who somehow connects with him. That's all I know. Um, and so there's a lot of lore that was new to me. The idea of these creatures with the skin that sort of zippers on. The idea of this Dark Tower that, as long as it stays... I, I thought Dark Tower is evil, but actually the Dark Tower keeps the darkness at bay i didn't know that the idea of strapping children into this little uh apparatus that takes their their youthful energy and and psychic power and uses it to try to destroy the dark tower to let the darkness in the concept of there's always this like veil of darkness that's always trying to like monster trying to break through and that you know people like the gunslinger have to take them out and their bullets are made of like king arthur's excalibur sword those kind of details oh uh, the portals and how they all have numbers like zip codes of where you end up through the portals all those concepts were really cool and they obviously come you know straight from the book and those things were very successful for me um even the idea of having a house spirit that protects 
you know, the portal there and like it starts coming out and, and, and those type of things. And there were some cool, very limited, but cool special effects stuff like that house fight, like the end where there's the glass that comes flying and they're, they're like using elements to fight each other. I love the idea that instead of magic, it's a little thing, but instead of magic, he calls it his magics. Um, just, just things that I knew were, were, were accurate or, 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 you know, had come from the book. Yeah. We're, we're, we're legit and, and, and sourced from there. So, it, it, you know, there are things about it that were interesting for me to discover that world. And as a primer to that world, and I'm sure everybody who's ever read the book would disagree, but for me it felt like an introduction that at least gave me some of the overall broad strokes of what Gunslinger is about. So in that way, I enjoyed it okay. I also liked – it needed more time, but I also didn't mind, especially considering it wasn't amazing that it was only an hour and a half. Um, but granted, it didn't have the time to really dive into the, to the details that I would have liked to have a lot more. If it was a great movie, I wouldn't have... I mean, it, it was an hour and a half, but it did feel like two hours, meaning that it probably wasn't that great. Yeah, um, yeah. So, I mean, it was okay. I didn't hate it, um, but I have a feeling maybe you did. So, my problem with it was because of the fact that it was so mediocre and so forgettable, that's really what bothered me the most because, you know, I, I mean, I've read Fairmouse King. King. I've not read Dark Tower yet. I do want to, but... I know that it has, it's one of his most famous works. It has a rich mythology to it. I almost would have rather seen the movie be bad, but because it was too ambitious, rather than it's bad because they just totally watered it down. It's so it mediocre and so forgettable. And the stuff with the kid is just the thing we've seen a million times. Of course, he has a stepdad who doesn't understand him. and Of course, he, there's he, a bully like, at school trying right, to steal his of shit. of course. Like, all these, like, ultra cliches that are just, uh, make up the first third of the movie. And then we finally meet the gunslinger, and, you know, he's not given a whole lot to do. And so that, okay, so I'll give you an example of a movie that I saw not too long ago that, I, that is not great, but it's also, it the reasons it fails are more because of how ambitious Over it is rather, overly than, ambitious. rather than it's a half-assed movie like because it's not at all that's the warcraft movie so i got to watch right, that right. recently and that is one where like okay so uh, like i'll it's a very clunky and uneven script there are too many main characters and it is hard to follow if you're not already at least somewhat invested in the world of the game and the mythology um i watched it with a friend who's played some of it so he was able to fill me in on and help me follow the story a little bit. But, and so it has those problems for sure, but it has amazing visuals. It has heart to it, and it has, it does an amazing job creating the orc character in it. It's probably one of the best CG characters I've seen since, wow. like, Treebeard and Lord of the Rings. I wow. mean, it was like, uh, I like, I would have loved to see the movie just focus on him, but... So you see what I'm saying? With that well, movie, if they had done that, that would have just, like, every Warcraft right, would have right, been up right, in arms right. because literally it's, it's the, you're talking right. about the two sides, right? But, yeah, but that's what I'm saying is, like, you know, so the problems with that movie are more because it was so ambitious and it really tried to both do justice to the game and make a movie be, that could be, be, be its, its own, own identity thing, thing and, like, right. appeal to people who haven't played the game in a rush. And it really tried to do that. And, you know, and so, like, and while it doesn't com- quite succeed on both fronts, I appreciate Duncan Jones' efforts there for really trying and not... It's not a lazily written script. It's just, like, it just has problems in that it, because it's trying to right. do more than it can shoot, you know? And so I would have rather seen that with Dark Tower than just be this, like, ultra-mediocre ultra like i mean nothing 
new nothing you know yeah. like I said, I if, still... it, if we'd seen this movie i would say if we'd seen this movie 20 years ago and i do think the technology was there even then to make a movie uh, like this uh-huh. it might have been more impressive it still wouldn't have had the story punch it uh-huh. needed it still wouldn't have had the performances we wanted in the script we wanted but i think it would have been more impressive in that and yeah. you know 20 years back right which is sad yeah real sad yeah that's the thing and it just feels like that like, i mean just so many things we've seen in other things before really it yourself was the only thing i liked about the movie mm-hmm. i thought yeah. he's perfect for that role but he is he didn't have enough to work with and i thought he also was, he also was a little bit um unemotional um he, he didn't have the i, 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 I yeah. wasn't feeling it yeah. and i know he's a phenomenal actor so i know that's not why right it's right. just i mean it, getting a performance out of an actor putting them in an environment with on right. set they feel motivated they feel inspired they feel like we're making some art here right right, right. that's going to get them to give their best performance is a big factor right right um, you can see great actors do really bad work. Absolutely. Um, so it's it's uh, a cue uh, Peter Dinklage in Destiny, for yeah, example. Yeah. He totally yeah. bombed that game. I do want to mention one point that was interesting that you mentioned: the idea of when you're doing an adaptation, uh-huh. um, this concept of and this isn't a new concept, but uh-huh. the concept of uh, do you try to be true to the source material, or do you try to do your own vision, or do you do a mix? I was listening to a uh, an interview with Alex Wingard, um, the he, guy who did. Um, Ex Machina, or no? Oh, no, 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 Garland. That's that's name. Alex Garland. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, Alex so. Wingard is the guy who did um, the new Blair Witch. Oh, okay, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some yeah, other yeah, horror, yeah. new sure, horror. Sure. He's he's like a hot name in sure, in, sure. in, in middle budget horror films, okay, cool, uh, like cool. the Annabelle type movies, Ouija, that kind of shit. Right, right, right. Um, some of which are good, some of which are not. Sure. Um, anyway, he was talking about Death Note, so he's doing the Death mm-hmm. Note adaptation. That's a fantastic manga, for fantastic Netflix, yeah. anime, right? And it's coming out for Netflix. But he told the whole saga. It was really fascinating. Of of how it evolved from first being a Warner Brothers movie and that right after movies like Pan came out. Um, mm. You remember that time we were talking on the podcast about that open letter somebody wrote to WB? Were you here? Yeah, that? I, was, yeah I think yeah. you were. Yeah. Um, we talking about there was somebody wrote an open letter about, you know, all these movies are a train wreck and everybody knows it. Right. Um, Warner Brothers is completely dead. Fire They're do- the boss, yeah. yeah right. They're doing it. all the wrong things. They're making all the wrong decisions. Um, it was that period at which, okay. and, and what this guy said is they just took their slate, looked at it, and they just killed every middle budget picture. Wow! So everything that wasn't like a you know a tentpole, triple A, huge you know over a hundred million dollar budget, they just got rid of it completely. Wow! Um, and so that his movie was one of those that that was lost in that prog- process. And one of the things Warner Brothers wanted to do was take a movie like Death Note, which is all about you know it's very it's about evil and the nature of evil and 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 horrible things happen and 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 truly you know it's very r if not more than r and they were going to try to make it pg-13 and not only that what they were going to take out this main character who is um the guy who comes uh from i i I always forget his name ryoki or something like that but he's like the spirit of death i've seen some episodes back when but it's been but yeah. he's the spirit of death, and he's like a big like CG sure. character, and, and he's really really cool, and he's got like this playful take on death, and he wants to like watch with popcorn that kind of idea, sure, sure. Um, while the horror ensues, and and he really just enjoys that. So they were gonna cut him out entirely, um, and then in addition to that, he 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 struggled because when they moved them, so originally it's set in Japan, and what Alex uh, Wingard said was when we we decided to move it to Seattle, and when we made that decision. I tried to take the script and make it like Death Note, but in Seattle, mm-hmm. and it just wasn't working. And what he realized was 
he had to really make his death note yeah. entirely. He says he thinks it's worse when you try to t- make a movie that's as true as possible and just change a few things, and, that that's a worse idea, and it comes out with a worse product. And I think that's a really good point, because, you know, and I write articles that um, have stated that opinion as well, and it, I mean, there's, that happens with comic book adaptations, too, you know, like, fans get up in a roar when something minuscule is changed um in the movie adaptation or the tv mm-hmm. adaptation and it's kind of i mean i think uh, you know there needs to be a stay true to like the tone and the you know the characters up but as far as like things with the story and stuff, you, i think that should be there should be clever changes like that for the purposes of an adaptation absolutely yeah i mean it, it really the, the manga already exists yeah, yeah, the, yeah. you know the uh, the anime already exists right right and so what's important is finding what's what's good about it to like see what resonates and in that and one being it's able this, to say something new as well. right and in that one it's this cat and mouse chase and, and and that kind of concept and you know they, they were just trying to very very fundamentally change what's what that they were taking out core elements, right. but still trying to make it the same thing, and it just wasn't working. And sure, so he sure. overhauled it. We'll see what if that's successful or not. I've seen a lot of early buzz of, of fans of the anime up in arms. That's to be expected. Sure, yeah. But his take on it was, this is my opportunity to make this movie, and I'm going to be really upset if I sacrifice my vision, and then it still sucks. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. that would be real bad. Yeah, Whereas yeah. at least if it's his movie, it's his movie, you can stand behind it. Sure. But anyway, so it's tough to do an adaptation. In this movie, we do have to remember... This is a film that was considered unfilmable, unmakeable. Yeah. Um, they've thought TV series. I think they are still going ahead technically with a TV series. That this was the they have a showrunner. I don't know the backdoor pilot it's too. It's taken what twenty years to get the movie up. up but you had heard, and 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 I I had to some degree that this was an incredibly troubled production. Oh yeah, and that in editing it got neutered. What and did you, you hear about s- that? Oh, uh, just that there were multiple reshoots, and that it took the studios multiple tries to get to a cut that they all agreed on that was basically a mashup of different versions and that's what we got as the final product and i it's totally evident you can see yeah. it because there are scenes that feel really clunky really unfinished and um you know side characters that just totally disappear uh, you know and come in at one point and then disappear and with no real explanation and my comment when we were driving home from the movie was you know, at that point, I don't understand why movies like Suicide Squad yeah. and this movie, when they ha- when they're at that point, they're like, okay, we need to do reshoots. Yeah, this movie's a fucking train wreck, and we know it. Um, we have fifteen different cooks in the kitchen, aka the producers and the right, writers right, and the right. money people and all the different people involved, the studio execs. They're all in a room basically saying this is a wreck. How do we compromise and get it right? Why don't they at that point? Why doesn't anybody just say, yeah, give it to the auteur. Give it to this guy whose vision it is and say, well, you know, at least this is a guy who we know has made great movies. We wouldn't have given this to him if he hadn't. And he has a fan base. Right, he has a fan base. People like his vision. So it's a train wreck. We know it. At least let it be his version. And I bet you three out of four times if they did that, it would turn out to be something really cool. I think so too. Like Jordan always says about that Fantastic Four movie, if if they had let that alone to be that guy's actual vision, it was actually a pretty good movie. Yeah, because he said it was... I never saw it, but... Yeah, he said it was the third act is where it really fell apart. And imagine if he'd been able to go in his new direction there. It might have been a movie that, while different from Fantastic Four, while maybe not as commercial-seeming actually would have had because you know the, this day and age critics for the most part there are exceptions Suicide Squad and BBS sure. but in general critics will kill a movie yeah. like Valerian had tons of ad campaign behind it it was an incredibly 
Uh, I, and they made it look amazing. Yeah, it's from the director of the Fulfillment, and it's his final come. It's his comeback to sci-fi, and it's his big deal. Sure. And and I saw tons of previews and tons of trailers and tons of coverage all over the internet, and it flopped as bad as it did. Yeah. And a big part of that was you know this critical thing, and and also just just the idea that nobody kind of knew what it was. I yeah, think was yeah. a big problem. Yeah. But it's anyway, based on a European comic, so people don't have access to it here. Well, not that now they do, not but yeah, but yeah. it didn't have it didn't have it wasn't Watchmen. Let's put right, it that way, right, which right. which is a, another. That movie didn't do super well, but at least Watchmen was so ubiquitous that yeah. people know what to expect. Anyway, your, any last thoughts on Valerian before we move on from that? On Valerian? Well, we're talking Dark. Well, Man, I know, but also like Valerian. Valerian. Uh, not do, right. do, I, I mean, I definitely recommend it once he comes on DVD. Um, like I said, it's it's got a really interesting episodic narrative to it. I love the world building in it. Um, there are some great visuals, and um, it's definitely one. You know, I wish it had done better because I'd have seen a sequel. But um, but yeah, it's just. Again, the dialogue and the acting are pretty laughable, but it, that's what it makes for like a fun thing. And I'm hope I'm be written, I'll be interested to see how it does overseas, especially yeah. in France and uh, other European countries, where because it's based on a French comic, and um, you know, so it'd be really cool to see how it does over there, um, what the reception's like. But um, yeah, I don't know. I read some of the reviews that were like really, really negative, and it just surprised me, just because. What were some of the things that they pulled out? It seemed pretty just, like, a little too hard. Like, some of, uh, I think some of those came in wanting to hate it and um, looking for reasons to. And, yeah, there are definitely big flaws with it, but I think It's not, what's that movie that was out, like, two years ago that was similar, um, that flopped Uh, and was terrible? You know the one with, um, uh, there was another sci-fi epic like this that was totally from left field, uh, Jupiter Ascending. Oh, yeah, yeah, that one. Similar yeah, concept, yeah. though. Similar sure. big, sweeping, this couple opera, yeah, saving yeah. the world, right. galaxy, I mean. See, that is the thing. That one was so boring, and so it, this one, total opposite. I mean, I had a great time watching it, you know. But see, to, yeah. to, to, to read the reviews, you would think you're, it was Jupiter Ascending right, Part right. 2. Right, right, I know, yeah. So that's that's interesting. Yeah. No, I thought we had put uh, Dark Tower to bed at that point. Yeah, yeah, oh, I no, mean, I we kind of... Yeah, we no, kind of, yeah. you know, laid it, laid it down right. on that. Okay, my, uh, what else do you have on your list? My only other one, right, this is a huge praise. So, uh, Valerian, I would say see. Dark Tower, I say don't see. But the one I say, I, I tell everyone, um, has, was phenomenal, was The Big Sick. Dude, um, uh, IGN so. gave it a 10 out of 10. It they was, say masterpiece. Oh, it For was, a comedy, dramedy, that's amazing. Dramedy, like, that uh, never happens. Yeah. Like, you don't get masterpiece written on dramedies, right, right. usually. So, basically, it's the... Um, so it's the guy from Silicon Valley, um, Kumal. I don't know. Nanjani. Nanjani. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah comedian and uh, actor, and so um, he wrote the movie with his wife. It's the true story of their relationship and how they um, met and everything. She basically. was in a coma. Uh, yeah. So. Um, or is that it, part exaggerated? No. Yeah, yeah. It happened. Yeah. She was. Wow. Like, so basically, what happened was um, they started dating, um, and. He kept it a secret from his family initially because um, they wanted his family to see wanted with... to, to marry a Pakistani American woman, um, and um, she's white, and so um, he kept it a secret from them, and um, so and they hit a bump in their relationship, and then she gets sick and goes into a coma, and um, so that's where the title stems from, wow. and so a lot of the movie is uh, she's in the coma and. Him um, and the and family. He, he meets her parents, yeah, and um, and her parents are so he plays himself in the movie. Um, she the his wife is played by an um an actress. I forget her name, but she does wonderful in it. Um, and her parents are played by Ray Romano and Holly Hunter. It was just wow. such star-studded. Like, it's star-studded. It's touching. It's hilarious. It's got like I mean, it hits so many emotions. Like 
it was just, I mean, I mean, obviously it's going to feel really authentic because it's them writing their story together, which is something that's really cool and easy. Um, there are other comedians, like Bo Burnham's in it too. Um, yeah, so it, it's just like, I don't know. It's just the, the way, it, it's a lot like kind of, and it's produced by Judd Apatow. So it's a lot like um, Funny People, some of those where it's like really nice blend of drama and comedy. Even though it's about a comedian, it's not laugh out loud funny throughout. There's some really heartbreaking and um, dramatic moments that feel very natural too. Um, and then there are hilarious moments as well. So, um, but oh, it was just so. I had such a great time watching it. It's just like it hits all the. It has a really happy ending, of course, and um, there just hits all the emotions. It's um, there's nothing like dazzling about the cinematography or anything, but it's a really good character piece um and an ensemble piece and um but uh it's just uh go see it it's one of those where it's hard to put into words but definitely one of the best romantic comedy that i've seen like ever that's the thing it's in a genre that generally um produces a bunch of like six out of ten films and and also like i mean there's there's a steady stream of these that come out every year and like even when you look at the cover the poster cover the what will be the dvd right right you know what it's you can pretty much guess the whole plot. And you also think it's going to be a piece of shit. It's going to be like, oh, okay, well, if I, you know, take my date to this, we'll have a good time. We'll laugh a little bit. You know, similar to like uh, uh, 50 First Dates or some shit like that, you know? But instead, I mean, no, it's a little bit of a hint that it's the big sick. Sick is in the title. It's not traditional. But also there are a lot of things like that, that movies that try to, you know, walk that razor's edge sure, sure. And, and, and fail miserably at right. it. So it yeah, really it is. Succeeds on so many this levels. is the generation of the dramedy. It really um, is, Thinking yeah. about things like Transparent and You're the Worst and a million others. And I just watched Master of None season two the week before. Another yeah. perfect example. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it really is an era where that line is being blurred. Um, Orange is the New Black yep. is a smash mm-hmm. hit. Um, yeah. So it, it really is interesting. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, so go see that. Anything else? Um, those are the only ones I can think of. So I have a few uh, to add, mm-hmm. um, one of which I know you've seen, so I would like to have your thoughts on that. Let me pull up my notes here. Um, okay, so I saw The Dark Tower, obviously. Yeah. Um, I watched a bit of Insomnia. I've seen the first half of it. Okay. Now. I wanted to have the whole thing done by this episode, but now that's the one I, I haven't seen aside sure. from the following. Uh, or following, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, first up, I did watch uh, The Founder. Um, with oh, Michael Keaton, that, yeah. I did. Um, have you seen it? No, I'm not. I, um, my parents did. It's yeah, tough to yeah. watch. It's tough to watch. So it's a really good movie. Michael Keaton's great in it. Mm. I um I I really liked it and watching like his rise and you know it's about Ray Kroc and right and the, right. And the McDonald's the brothers story, and how yeah. basically the McDonald's franchise was stolen from them. But it's a little more complicated than that. But in the end, like he was really ruthless and did you know some pretty bad things. He wouldn't even let them keep one percent of their revenue. I mean, just just and it would yeah. be that would be worth you know hundred million right now or, or whatever i mean just just very harsh business practices sure. it's very hard to watch at times um he he fired you know not fired that's it's it's sort of true but he divorced his first wife the one that stood by him his whole mm-hmm. life when he was like 55 once he got wealthy yeah. traded her in for a young model um and so you know it's just a lot of decisions he made but what i'm glad and michael keaton actually said this too which is interesting because michael keaton um you know obviously plays the title role of ray Kroc. And, he, you know, instead of being, I mean, he is empathetic to that character. He understands that character's plight. Mm. And he said that, but he really wanted to make this movie because he wanted it to be clear 
what happened and whose idea this really was and to finally get that story out there that this these McDonald's brothers who invented this process of of you know it was called the speedy system which mm. allowed them to do basically an assembly line burger making store yeah. um, which created modern fast food which is phenomenal it used they show really well in the movie that it used to be that you know you would wait at the drive-in and it would be 20 minutes your order would be fucked up um everything was made you know really slowly it was just a really rough process and he was going door to door selling these um uh shake mixers like instead of just one spout it would have five spindles for doing five shakes at a time he's trying to sell the idea of well you'll sell more shakes and you know these people are like i i only need one spindle dude you know that kind of concept but then he sees the speedy idea and it just inspires him and he's like we got to take this worldwide the mcdonald's brothers had tried it before it didn't work which is something i didn't know um to franchise they said quality control was impossible um and then ray Kroc convinces them to do it again and then he basically steals the whole company from them and okay. it's rough to watch uh but it, it is important that it exists as a document yeah. to what these brothers created and so i'm really glad it exists um and it's really well made yeah um well, I watched... the guy that made it he made movies like the blind side and stuff so yeah um he's done other like you know stories based on real people and all that um and it has a good knack for it as well you know yeah but yeah i might check it out i saw it was on netflix yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's why we uh yeah, we yeah, popped yeah. it on anyway the big one i want to talk about okay. is the belco experiment okay so i am a sucker for battle royale anything uh-huh. um except maybe PUBG. uh player unknown battlegrounds a big game right now it's really popular in uh, on steam for the gamer set but anyway um so video game wise whatever but movie and book and anime and right. or anime everyone corrects me um wise i love battle royale anything okay. um hunger games and you know uh yeah you thing, do like things like that involved, i yeah. just i uh, uh avengers um undercover and the one before it avengers arena are like okay, some yeah. of my favorite books ever uh-huh. um so i just love this concept of put a bunch of people in an arena and one of the things i like about it is getting to know all the different characters right is that you get to it, it puts them in an extreme situation and very clearly and quickly illustrates their personalities uh-huh. um and shows what they're made of um but anyway i thought this movie did some things really well it's uh just to give the setup it is a company in colombia south america i believe it's colombia is that right it's it's somewhere in south america venezuela maybe somewhere in south america um and um they basically have a uh uh, an office it's called belco industries or something and um it's mostly american transplanted workers that that move from the u.s to work in South America, they have their visas. They have these little chips implanted in their neck, which should have been the first hint. That's kind of sketchy. They say it's for insurance reasons that right, if right. they ever get kidnapped, these little chips can help locate them, and it's absolute necessity for insurance, whatever. Um, so most of the office is comprised of, of you know people from the U.S. that come in. There's also some locals. Well, as everyone gets to the office this one fateful day, um, all the locals are sent away, and only the Americans who have the chips in their neck. Are, allowed, are come in to work that day. Uh-huh. Then all of a sudden, once everybody's in, the doors, uh, these big metal sheets that were already installed, slam down on every single window in the building, and they're locked in. They try everything, and if they, they go to the roof, try to flag down help, uh, no dice, uh, they get shot at by a sniper, and there's there's some people like in a uh, bunker near the place. Uh, looks like a military bunker, uh, um, horrifically, and... Um, that's where like the whatever is happening to these people is being is being uh, executed. Mm-hmm. So the idea is um, that everybody's got a bomb in their neck, right. and they have to start killing each other off. First, I think three or four people, then twenty five people, um, and then the final demand becomes 
uh, Last Man Standing, and who has or whoever has the most kills, but I guess that would have to be Last Man Standing. Yeah, yeah. Um, wins, and so basically what you get is this corporate idea of of, of corporate cutthroatness. Mm-hmm. Um, taken to its its logical not lo- illogically violent conclusion yeah, yeah, yeah. and so the idea is there's the guy that's the ceo of the place or the coo i think um who is actually the president from um uh what's that show that that people like a lot um scandal he plays the president yeah, 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 scandal yeah, yeah, yeah. um he's the he's the coo he, he's like a fellow a former navy seal badass yeah, yeah. um and then and he's got, got michael rooker and all those guys uh short shortly yeah. he's only in it but but yeah. still it's 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 interesting but anyway there's so there's like you said there's those there's Michael Rucker and his buddy they're like they they work on like the uh, the technical aspects like you know making sure the furnace is running and then you have the like people who are on the phones kind of the more drudgery workers and then you have a little bit higher up people and then you, and that includes the main character um who is the hero of the piece mm-hmm. um he's got a girlfriend that's there also she's kind of the the the, the secondary hero, I guess you would say, or the love interest, traditionally. Um, and then you have the bad guys, which is basically that president I told you about, and then like a couple cronies who are with him get really militant and realize very fast that they need to get really violent and intense if anybody's going to survive. They try to say, you know, if you're older, if you don't have kids, you're more expendable, mm-hmm. concepts like that. And then our hero guy basically says, no, there's never ever a situation that justifies this. You can't ever do that. If they're going to kill us, they can kill us, but we got to try to find a plan. We can't kill each other. And it's basically this meeting of the minds clash. Um, unfortunately, when all is said and done, it doesn't really lead up to very much. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really matter what happens. It doesn't. Want, the climax is incredibly um, disappointing yeah. when you find out what's going on and why. It's exactly what you would have guessed in the most rote, basic, boring way. It's an. Exp- I mean, I'm sorry for spoilers, but it's not worth seeing. It's an experiment. Yeah. Um, why do they do this experiment? Just because. Um, who's running it? Some shadow organization. What's uh, what? And then like, ooh, there's a huge like Uber spoiler at the end, or not? Or Uber's like reveal at the end. This isn't the only experiment. They're happening all over the world, right? right? right. It, it's just a squandered opportunity. Well, I remember when Jordan Kelsey saw it on the and like um, I hadn't seen it then, but like. Um... I was I remember reading about it and basically James Gunn wrote it years ago it's just like a you know like on his own sure. wasn't even sure if it was gonna be produced or anything but he just kind of binge wrote it in a couple of weeks and um and then of he course got he became really big and um took off and I think studios were just looking into hey what else have you got around here and he probably just handed them that as a like well I wrote this a few years ago give me a and, couple minutes um yeah yeah and. I mean, and I, who knows if he even did any more drafts of it after that or if they just took that and said, okay, cool, yeah, we'll give you producer credit and everything. Although and, it does have um, some gun um, it, No, Rutgers in it, and is it Sean Gunn in it? And, yes, uh, yeah, yes, yeah. he plays, like, yeah, the yeah. stoner conspiracy theorist. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's going to have... I think if he weren't directing the Guardians trilogy and had more time on his hands that he might have done the project instead. Could have been more and directly then, involved right, anyway. and then done rewrites and made it more interesting but yeah i mean that's gonna you know he's evolved since then and this was something he wrote years ago um so it is it is an adequately done movie um it is a movie where you care about the hero a lot you care Mm -hmm. about their love story him and the and the uh sort of femme fatale sort of just Mm -hmm. traditional love interest um when people die it's painful Mm -hmm. so they do that stuff well 
Um, it does have a little bit of like body gross out horror when the guy tries to rip the thing out of his neck and, and when you see blood splattering everywhere. Um, the one reveal of like how he kind of gets his revenge at the end is interesting with the mm-hmm. bombs. Um, so there, it does have its up points, but I'm talking about like 6.57 right, out of 10. Right, you know what I right. mean? Like nothing that I was like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Very by the numbers. It's like if you were going to make a Battle Royale movie and you had a little coloring book, like you could color in exactly <laughs> where like Battle Royale movies color. You can yeah. hire a horror director off the street and yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and basically get a movie that was serviceable like this movie was serviceable. So I was very disappointed because I was yeah, really yeah. hoping for more. Again, my expectations were a little tempered because okay, people yeah. like yourself and Jordan and et cetera had said that it was just kind of mediocre at the end mm-hmm. when all is said and done. Um, but with the pedigree that it has, I had to give it a shot and right, also the right. subject matter. Uh, just too bad. You know, if once he got out, it could have been more interesting what sure. happened. Yeah, yeah. Or if a couple of people had survived at the end and like figured a way out or just something right. interesting. Something um, but yeah. they just decided to, to just do the most, the, the easiest wrap numbers, up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I can't. I can't imagine uh, that they would ever follow up on that. Yeah. But it leaves the door open. Yes. Um, so It'll be interesting to see what Gunn does at once Guardians is done, because I'd love to see him come back. And now that he has the status and the budget to do, you know, even crazier movies, like do another indie or something, or like something, some kind of standalone or horror or something like that. Yeah. With the caliber that he has now. It'd be cool. It, it, oh, I think it'll definitely happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, What was the one? Who was the guy who did uh, Logan Lucky? Uh, not Logan Lucky. Um. Baby Driver, uh, Edgar oh, Wright, right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. and then Logan Lucky is another movie. So I always confuse the yeah. two. People always talk. They, well, the posters look kind of similar too. Yeah, 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 they're kind of similar idea. Yeah. But that kind of movie is the yeah. kind of movie that I could see um, Gun doing. Yeah, I, well, yeah, absolutely. So. Cool. Um, cool. So anything Any, else? No, nope, that's it for me. All right, me cool. too. Um, so on that note, I am going to throw the baton to you. All right. Um, tell me about Jonathan. Uh, excuse me, Jonathan. Well, I blew that. I will tell you about Jonathan Nolan as well. Tell yeah. tell me about Christopher Nolan, um, and then also maybe a little bit about how you got into him. Okay, so Christopher Nolan, um, obviously, even for people who aren't even into film that much, you know the name he's become, um, and that's really impressive for a director in the modern age to become such a household name. Um, right, alone, it's not like this isn't the era of Spielberg. Anymore. No, no, not at all. And there's like Spielberg, Cameron, and him. Right, right, um, and so obviously known for things like the dark knight trilogy and inception and interstellar um but um this guy has been making movies for a long time now um it's uh, just basic information about him he was a literature major in college he started his career making movies um just with friends and family um and has gone from budding independent filmmaker to one of the most iconic auteurs not just of the 21st century but of all time in American cinema and, um, you know, and so... I mean, he's not Scorsese yet, but he has the potential. Yeah, he has the potential a, to yeah, be a, yeah. a Scorsese. He just doesn't have the uh, body of work yet right, right, to that right. level. Well, yeah. Uh, it's I mean, getting there, though. It's, I mean, he's, I mean, Following was his first movie in 1998, um, and he's made, that's, he's made 11 since then, and has short films and produced others. Um, so, um, and I think one of the biggest things to... You know, we use this term auteur because, like, um, well, he writes, directs, produces movies. Yes, but there are a lot of key players that he wouldn't be Christopher Nolan without these people. And so I think before we get any further, let's talk about a couple of those people. So first is Jonathan Nolan, his brother, um, who doesn't get nearly enough credit uh, as much he deserves. He's really been the key player in all of his scripts. Um, 
Co-writer on most. Co-writer. Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, they wrote the Dark Knight trilogy together. They wrote... Along um, with what's-his-name. Didn't what's-his-name do? Goyer, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And so, yeah, the three of them uh, collaborated. Um, But Memento is based on a short story that Jonathan Nolan wrote. Um, He was originally... Which is Memento Mori? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, And then Christopher wrote the screenplay, but... Even then, I imagine he had some help from him, too. Sure, um, sure. And then Interstellar, they wrote together, and that was actually originally going to be directed by Spielberg, and Jonathan Nolan was the primary screenwriter attached to it. Once Spielberg dropped out to do other projects, Jonathan suggested to Christopher to direct. Um, and then, let's see, and then they also wrote Prestige together. So, wow. um, I wow. mean, if you want to credit anyone with the kind of master storytelling and the dialogue and the characterization... It's Jonathan as is, is, is instrumental. To and what has he been doing lately? Work. Some TV stuff. Uh, just a little. He's been doing Westworld. <laughs> right. And <laughs> yeah, Person yeah. of Interest as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with, uh, with his partner and wife, I believe, Lisa yeah, Joy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they are a dynamic duo absolutely. on television, and, and they're one of the, the linchpins of what we now call right. peak TV. Right. So Jonathan is instrumental to him. Um, and then his wife, Emma Thomas, has been his main producer going back to the 90s. Um, they've worked on every film together. Um you know, both on the story side of things to production, post-production. Um, they even went on movies that where he's just credited as producer, like Man of Steel. She's also a producer with him as well. So they always work together. Um, Wally Pister is another one, um, is his main cinematographer, mm. who they no long, they don't work together anymore because Wally's gone on to direct them. He directed that, um, what was that terrible um ai oh. movie with johnny depp um that we reviewed. oh god yeah. transcendence yeah, oh fuck that was his directorial debut um so i kind of wish he had stayed with him but yeah so the only movies that they've not worked together on in the back were interstellar and dunkirk but everything before that i mean he shot the dark knight trilogy prestige inception all those which so, which of course um helped define uh nolan's vocabulary of filmmaking vocabulary and style and um, I mean, just the photography and especially the conception, you know, I mean, obviously it requires no one's vision to bring that to life, sure. but while he had Pister, a brilliant visual just, vision as right. well, that He's was a cinematographer. Um, and then Hans Zimmer, we have to get it. I right. I scored every one of those movies back. You know, that soundtrack to Interstellar is ridiculous. You know how many times I've listened to that? Oh my gosh. Oh, it's so good. It's got this. I have it on my iPod. It's got this staccato rhythm that's just. Oh, it's so good. I was rewatching it the other night, and the the scene when Cooper leaves and he's leaving the farm, and Murph runs after him. It is just a beautiful, heartbreaking moment in the music. So Hans Zimmer has. I mean, without the music of Christopher Nolan's films. Uh, it, that's you're losing so much of the heart of it so he deserves um the i mean it, it, if nothing else aside from dialogue uh, um the most moving parts once you've built characters um to me in most movies are when you have the the, the beautiful perfect segue absolutely. uh between music and visuals absolutely that's when it really punches you right and then i don't know can't t- know too much about it's been a while since i've read about them but, um but his other two main producers have been um, Nathan Crowley was his like big production designer of, of a lot of the sets. Worked with him for a long time, and then Charles Robin as well um, has been one of his main producers. So um, I have a book back there on my shelf on the art and making of the Dark Knight trilogy that has more in depth. Wow. Um, descriptions of both of them, of Emma Thomas, Jonathan Nolan. 
So these are the kind of people that have really shaped him into the filmmaker he is. Um, But, of course, a lot of it is his own work. I mean, he has an incredible vision. He's a gifted storyteller. Um, And that goes all the way back to his earliest films. So what I thought we could do is just kind of go through um, each one, give kind of... I've got the IMDb plot summaries pulled up here just to kind of refresh us. Um, Sounds good. But And I actually, like I said earlier, I just watched the first half of Insomnia so okay, I could cool. get an idea because that was my biggest... I, I kind of knew that fo- that Following was more of like a student film type sure, thing, sure. but as far as his big budget movies, that was like the first big one, right? Yeah, that um, was his first... It was um, the first one distributed by Warner Brothers and from then on, Warner Brothers would distribute every one of his movies. Um, they were wise. Yep. Very much so. Surprisingly, that movie... Um, well, we'll get to it. We'll talk about that. Yeah, movie. yeah. Well, yeah. So, right. so let's start with Following. I haven't okay. seen it. Okay. Uh, tell I've me, seen tell it me about it. I've seen it I know once. it's been a while. Yeah, yeah. But, but give uh, me an idea. Um, so let me go ahead and read the plot summary here sure. just to get it set up. But So this came out in 1998, written and directed by Nolan. Um, so an older man listens to Bill's story about being a Kahlo writer who likes to follow strangers around London. Around London observing them. One day, a glib and self-confident man whom Bill has been following confronts him. He's Cobb, a burglar who takes Bill under his wing and shows him how to break and enter. The burgle, they burgle a woman's flat. Bill gets intrigued with her. Photographs are everywhere in her flat. He follows her and chats her up at a bar owned by her ex-boyfriend, a nasty piece of work who killed someone in her living room with a hammer. Soon, Bill is volunteering to do her a favor which involves a break-in. What does the older man know that Bill doesn't? So, um, there's several really interesting things about this movie. One, um, yeah, again, this is uh, um, by far the cheapest one he ever made. Um, it was a black and white. I think it's only about 75 minutes, yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's shorter. Um, and, um, but even from the earliest stages, it really wowed critics with the way it was done from a storytelling perspective um and you know a lot of it is a lot of the movie takes place just um in this uh, in this room where this guy is telling back the story and there's stretches without dialogue there's um a lot of really swift camera movements as he's going around london following these different people around and then gets into the whole murder mystery um plot and so is it a decent one yeah i think yeah yeah um, I mean, it's got, it, it's almost like kind of like a prelude to Memento in that kind of, just in the way it's done. Um, I mean, it doesn't do the backward storytelling, but, um, it's a, it's an old school noir, but with a really interesting modern edge to it, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely one of those that you see a lot of the tenants in his other movies play out, both this like tortured protagonist, um getting it it starts out fairly innocent um is just kind of interested in people looking for stories to tell and um becomes revealing revealing that kind of instinct in in all of us exactly uh, to watch and that that voyeuristic side exactly um a little bit like um was it rear window is that the hitchcock film? yeah 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 it's I, i i mean as far as like which films i would say were most hitchcock influenced it'd be this and memento well, they, well, Insomnia, too. I mean, yeah. like, those were his most hardcore noirs. Um, but, yeah, it's very much like Rwanda. It's a great example. Which is a great movie. Yeah. Just showing how our own curiosity can lead us into a world of trouble. And 
Um, and what goes on behind closed doors and how different that can be from the faces people show us in public. Exactly. Um, so it's a really interesting movie that shows what he can do even with the most limited budget. Is it um, fun to watch? Yeah. I, so it's I, not like a shitty student no, film look? No, okay. no. Um, I mean, you can do, as long as you can do black and white. Sure, and all sure, that. whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh no, I think it's very interesting. Um, I mean, it's it's admittedly slower than it, you know, but um, and there are no big actors in there or anything like that. That's fine. But yeah. um, excuse me. Uh, it no, I think it's very intriguing to watch, and uh, it the I think the length works for it. It's like not a short film, but not you know a super long feature. Not bloated, anyway. right? Right. Um, but I I mean no, I think especially for you, someone who loves murder mysteries and murder twists, mysteries and, and, twists yeah. and all that. And noir. Um, and noir, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's about a writer. And, you know, Perfect. So, um, I think it's definitely worth checking out. I mean, I saw it Is on it Netflix. Is it not on Netflix anymore? I thought it was. I don't... It may be. I don't know. Like, I've seen it on Netflix. That was, uh, yeah, many years ago it was on there for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely check it out, you know. And I've seen it in video stores as well um, before because... Yeah. Because no one has that caliber now, you know, even as more obscure films are available. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really cool. But, so that's following. It's definitely, you know, I, I wish I could talk about it a little more, but it has been a while since I've seen it. But um, that's one definitely check out. It's got, and again, so the I'd say the earliest markings of his style yep, it's still are here. Heaven. Okay, cool. So check it out. Um, you know, his style from, again, it's not... This, it doesn't defy storytelling conventions in the way that Memento does with its telling the story backwards or anything like that. But it does have... It's not super straightforward either. You know, you... Um, it starts off in one place, and by the end of the movie, you're in a totally different um, environment for the protagonist. It just really evolves in an interesting way. Hmm. Um, and, again, he deals with these sort of t- tortured protagonist so well and does a great job of really capturing these tenets of the human spirit and how we can be manipulated, how we can be tempted and broken in different ways. Mm. Um, and so it, uh, I, this was really the beginning of his career that, I mean, he made some short films before that, sure. but um, this is what really caught the attention of critics. And from then on, he kept making, he made his next big indie, which um it just you know, it's still an indie but it's one of i would say i mean you i would say memento is as almost i mean the same caliber as prestige and so i mean people still talk about it today mm-hmm. you know which is really interesting um it's are we on to memento now yeah, so memento is is one of those movies that when i didn't know anything about christopher nolan mm-hmm. everybody was like you have to see memento it was yeah, a yeah. kind of the you know what it was like it was like um fight club yeah, it was fair, one yeah, of those absolutely. type of movies. Or, or did you see it? Donnie, back when? Donnie Darko less, but those kind of movies where sure. people were like, you, you know, those those lower mid tier budget um, thrillers that everyone's raving about, right? Yeah. But that are done by for, with a more of an, an eye towards the indie scene, sure, sure, um, and and more creativity. And did you so, see it back when it came out, or uh, no? Later? I think I saw it a couple years after, but not okay, like so way not after. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was pretty, it was right around that time. Um, and I, not enough. It's been long enough that I, I don't remember it uh, in, in in excruciating detail. Sure, sure. But I remember that uh, it's a fascinating movie, and it, and it's one that is completely creative with this this backwards approach. Interestingly, it tells it forwards and backwards. Right. It makes sense. It works. 
Um, it's it's a movie that I recommend to people still to this day. I'm like, you have to see Memento. It's one of those movies you just have to see it. Sure. Um, it, it's it's excellent. I mean, I guess let's. Uh, you want to give a, a summary of that one? Yeah, it's basically this guy played by Guy Pierce um, is trying to. Uh, he um, has right there memory loss and is trying to put the pieces together to solve the mystery of his wife's murder. Um, and so it starts off telling it in backwards uh, motion, which is something that had never really been done before. Um, and then it goes into the forward. And so the way it does these two different stories and juxtaposes them together is so brilliant. And so, you know, and really there are just three main characters. Um, you have uh, Leonard, um, and then you have um, the other two are actually both played by um, people in Matrix. Um, so you've got... Um, uh, um, what's her name? Who I always Trinity. forget her name. I know who you're talking Carrie about. Carrie Ann Moss. Yes, thank you. And then I'm, I cannot for life me remember the guy's name off the top of my head right now. Um, but he's also in the Matrix. So you really have just these three characters, and it's just so fascinating the way it's done. Um, yeah, it's one of, you know, I, 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 and well, the thing that separates it from, it could easily be a gimmick kind of movie. Yes. Hey, we have the movies pulled backwards. Isn't that awesome? But it's done with a purpose, you know? And it does it to really advance the story, to draw the viewer in, and to not and to manipulate and to like really just well the idea that i remember people saying was that it's it's experiential yeah in that you feel the way the main character does better than in almost any other movie now now granted it uses a trick or a gimmick to accomplish that giving him a disorder that suits itself perfectly to you being you know him being your surrogate and you're watching it not knowing what happened just like he doesn't know what happened and so when you see things in reverse, it's it's kind of like the experience he's going through with the no memory and, and having to relearn everything and not being able to make and create new memories. Um, so it's just a just a really interesting concept that he uses to great effect, and mm-hmm. and people just you know have no, have no end of praise for it. And I, and I liked it a lot. I don't I wouldn't say that like it made me obsessed with Nolan, but mm-hmm. I liked the movie a lot. Yeah, I think the first time I saw it was I mean I already seen I think it was maybe before Dark Knight Rises, but I definitely seen Dark Knight and all the and Inception and Prestige, so I was already pretty like immersed into his world already, and was now checking out his earlier. Sure, stuff. sure. Um, but yeah, it's any time I've probably seen it about three times, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so and any time I revisit it, it yeah, it always amazes me just how well it's composed. Um, like I said, Jonathan Nolan wrote the short story that it's based on, and then Christopher wrote the script do you do you generally get new things from it each time you see it yeah one of those movies or is it one where you kind of absorb the whole thing but it's just fun to revisit yeah i think it's uh so prestige is one where it's just fun to revisit i think i mean yeah there are some things i pick up on more in rewatches but i've seen it so many times um but memento yeah i think there is definitely elements to pick up on um in little things just um, in terms of like why a character is there, um, how the story is advancing, mm-hmm. um, the shift from the reverse uh, storytelling to the forward, 
and why that is and uh, i also yeah. love the brilliant little noir touches like yes. the matchbook and yes. things like that they, yes. they just do a really good job with the little things right, the trappings right. of a noir uh right work and yeah and it's just it did you it, give a synopsis on this one i, I forgot i can do real quick but yeah. uh memento chronicles two separate stories of leonard an ex-insurance investigator who can no longer build new memories as he attempts to find the murderer of his wife which is the last thing he remembers one storyline moves forward in time while the other tells a story backwards revealing more each time yeah, so, yeah. i mean it's 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 definitely uh it's definitely interesting mm-hmm. cool Absolutely. um so what do you do next um so insomnia is was 2002 um so At that this was point, his he first, had, go ahead yeah this was his first big studio feature um first movie to be distributed by warner brothers and would then on seal his relationship with warner brothers from then on uh um, it also was um a, the first time obviously going along with the big budget it's the first time that he got to work with like incredibly high level talent. Right. now obviously guy pierce guy Pierce, but he didn't have the like superstar status back then exactly yeah, yeah. and so what you had was al pacino robin williams yeah. in one of his i wouldn't say few but you could count them on it's, one or two hands dramatic performances yeah. Um, which he's which he's shown himself to be an adept dramatic performer as well. Right, right. Um, and then you also have Mara Tierney. Uh, mm-hmm. She's in it. I like her because I've seen her, you know, obviously in, in TV stuff, but sure. also The Affair. Yeah, um, yeah, She's yeah. also TV, but more modern. She's great in that. Um, she's, she's good in this. Hillary Swank. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, Boys Don't Cry was three years previous to this. Mm-hmm. This was 2002. That was 99. Mm-hmm. It's one of the first things uh, I looked up because it's interesting to know where she was in her career at sure, this point. Sure. She had blown up as this brilliant, um, ballsy, wow, that was terrible, <laughs> but 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 gutsy actor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, somebody who... Uh, who was was willing to go all in for a role, right? And right. and really and, and tremendous skill, right? Um. So anyway, that so she's in it at the sort of the the height of her her sure. hype hype uh, arc. Sure. Um. And this was also it's the only movie that he's directed where he doesn't have a writing credit, but he did rewrite the final draft of the script. Um. There was a main screenwriter, but he of course did rewrite. Um. um and now, yeah, um, what's okay. also notable about this movie is a remake. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, so it's a remake of a 97 film, 1997 yes. uh, Norwegian thriller or Swedish. Norwegian. Either Norwegian or Swedish. Yeah, or Swedish. Th- yeah. Um, that actually starts selling stars, mm-hmm. Skarsgård. Um, was a huge smash in its in its native country and, mm. and even made it over here and was a critical success sure. here. Um, and, you know, the it, it shares many plot points and many ideas. It's actually a very similar film. Um both were, were were critically successful. The um, but this is obviously his first and maybe only remake. Yeah. That he's done, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting choice, being that you know his his original work was unless you want to call it Batman, but that's reasonable. no, I yeah, do yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, certainly yeah. do not because those are very original uh, yeah, yeah. in their take. Yeah. Um, but it, I so I revisited it, uh-huh. and it is it is definitely an interesting movie. Al Pacino's performance in it is out, is outstanding. Yeah. yeah. Um, what I just like about it is that it takes place in Alaska, and it's, it's uh, so. Cool. I mean, how often do you see a detective story like that take place in Alaska? With the exception yeah. of uh, Whiteout, which is a Rucka yeah, yeah. Um, comic one, okay, but it's a yeah. very hard thing to shoot. Also, yeah. Fortitude. But these are things that came with with Whiteout, maybe around the same time, but movie wise, right. like Fortitude, for example way later yeah um these it's very hard to shoot in that mm-hmm. kind of environment the town this takes place in is the town of night mute mm-hmm. um which is interesting because i don't know if that's a real town but night is muted um right. there's no night 
at the time when the movie takes place, it's 24 hours sunlight in Alaska, yeah. which is interesting. I guess it's because it's proximity to the equator. And the idea is that at night you close your blinds and pretend it's dark out because mm-hmm. it isn't really. Yeah. Uh, so that is really an interesting pers- uh, location to right, set a film. Right. Um, so anyway, yeah. w- what about a synopsis on this one? Yes. So, um, and by the way, I just to credit, I didn't write these. These are all the IMDb plot summaries. Right. Um, but so sent from the city to investigate the murder of a teenage girl in a small Alaska town, a police detective played by Pacino accidentally shoots his own partner while trying to apprehend a suspect instead of admitting his guilt the detective is given an unexpected alibi but this solution only multiplies the emotional complexity and guilt over his partner's death he's also got a murder to solve in addition to the blackmail and framing of an innocent bystander being orchestrated by the men they were chasing there's also a local detective played by hillary swank who is conducting her own personal investigation of his partner's death Will it all come crashing down on him? Dun dun. Uh, yeah. Um, so again, this has been at least a year or two since I've seen it. So I really don't. The ending is a little fuzzy, but um, um, but yeah, it's. I would say it's the most straightforward. If you want to say, I mean, there's no like huge, like out of this world crazy storytelling shifts, or I mean, it's a very good. Um, noir thriller i think the thing that makes it is the performances especially pacino's if he wasn't in it it would actually be only okay i'd say yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you really needed star power for this um i'm in the middle of it right now and has robin williams even showed up yeah yeah but that is interesting you're right uh he comes in about 45 minutes into the film makes a phone call at that point Yeah, yeah yeah um but the thing that I found is that in the middle of this movie, it's very painful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tend to be somebody that looks at film in a slightly different way than, than maybe a tr- truly critical eye. Mm-hmm. Um, same way I look at games and in, in, in enjoyment value. And that doesn't mean, uh, not to go into this deep, but it doesn't yeah. mean that uh, a drama like Schindler's List can't be on my list of the best films ever. Right, It right. just means that if I'm going to see something that's that's painful and and uh, uh dramatic and intense i want to feel like the the pleasure of that drama or or, or if it's not joy the satisfaction of seeing a story well told or characters well yeah. represented yeah and so in the middle of this movie i found it to be a little unpleasant to yeah. watch watching him be not sleep and i guess that also comes from the fact that i've suffered from insomnia when i was younger Mm -hmm. so i know what that's like to be up all night and how bad that feels and how uh psychedelic the world becomes on no sleep uh that it was painful to see and watch and so watching him in that and i think part of that comes from the fact that it is a well-done movie and a great performance in that i want to see him succeed badly and then when things go awry and his partner is killed and it's his fault also when um he's like trying to question suspects but he's going nuts because he hasn't slept mm-hmm. and he's such a good cop and i want to at him as my surrogate i keep using that word but i want to be him solving this badass case like he's doing it and unfortunately i'm hindered he's hindered by this this in tremendous fatigue and, sure. and i'm frustrated i'm like god damn it you oh, know i've so, dealt with huge sleep apnea too so i know i mean yeah it, i mean and so it's i mean it, there are no, people aren't lying when they describe experiences about it yeah 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 so um so i know that's a really point yeah it's uh, i mean it's it's pretty dark at um and it's um but it's, it's a thriller yeah. yeah yeah so again it has those nolan tenants there to it but um it's uh, you know i think it's a really good movie it's definitely well yeah i, I they took it off netflix but i'm gonna see if it's on amazon so i can revisit it um but 
yeah, and then once Robin Williams does finally come in, uh, he of course gives really exciting performance as like this reclusive author um, who, who was um, involved with the victim and right, right. who who initially is is admitting to this crime, and right. we'll see what happens because I haven't seen the end. You right, don't remember right. the end, yeah. Um, but okay, yeah. Well, in that case, let's so move on. Insomnia. Um, now, so Insomnia starts Nolan's relationship with Warner Brothers. And that leads to Batman Begins. Um, so this is and, where he hit critical mass. Right, right. This is where you get Nolan as a household name. Right, right. And uh, superhero movies will do that for you. Right. Especially in the modern era. And um, just a little background. You um, know a lot about this one, so I'm going to be interested. Go ahead. Well, so originally, I mean, obviously after Batman Robin, you know, nearly killed the Batman franchise, you know, Hollywood was looking for a new way to reinvent um, and give it a darker look. Originally, they had Darren Aronofsky attached to the reboot. Okay. Um, and he was working with Frank Miller. Is he on, the Requiem for a Dream, dude? Yeah. yeah. He was working with Frank Miller on an adaptation of Batman Year One. And this was going to be a hard R rated Batman movie that was, um, I mean, that had prostitute Catwoman and everything. Frank Miller wrote the script. I've read the script. Um, and it's like, I mean, it's, Is it solid? Yeah. I think it's worth checking out. I mean, it followed. I mean. Do you think it, it would have made for a good project? Well, it would have been to. They. Um, while they wanted a darker, grittier reboot, it would have been too much. You can't. The problem was going from Batman and Robin, Joel Schumacher, to hard R Frank Miller Batman. It just would have been too hard to sell to audiences. Yeah. And so they needed some middle ground, and so that's where Nolan comes in. Um, and so did Aaron. Ar- did Darren Aronofsky see his his vision getting watered down and exit the project? It was, yeah, I think it was his choice. Also. Okay, like, and then they, and then they was, went for a new... It's kind of crazy. Like, he was attached to that. He was also attached to the Wolverine years later, too, and then that fell apart. Interesting. So it's a, he could have done two of the biggest Frank Miller-esque uh, characters sure. in comics. Um, probably a big dream. But we'll never get to see those, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but anyway... But fortunately, but instead... We give him again, so... Um, which is my second favorite Batman film. Yeah, yeah, no, it's. I mean, I always, I always go back and forth between Begins and Dark Knight. Really, I mean, there's things I like about Begins better than the Dark Knight. Um, Dark Knight's it's, fantastic, and so right, is Begins. They're right. both great films. There's this thing about the storytelling in it um, that does such a good job with the superior origin that doesn't feel boring. It Never boring. The, the, it's so much more intense and gritty. It's very tough to do that. Uh, yeah. Superhero origins are bland and boring as right, fuck. Right. Yeah, yeah. Nobody wants to watch somebody getting bitten by a spider or Alfred, excuse me, or um, Bruce's parents get right. killed and the pearls hit the pavement again. Well, Nobody and wants to be it. fair, this was before the onslaught of getting like three MC movie, MCU movies a year and yeah. DC Universe and all that. So. We hadn't hit that like high ground of superhero movies all the time. That was yet. coming, but it, but even then, you're right in that like you know you can only do origin story so many times, and people were already familiar with Batman origin. Yeah, um, this just did but, a really unique thing in that yeah. it was a very it wasn't high flying adventure and action in sure. the city with bright colors. I mean, Batman was always darkish, sure. but there was Robin and he was bright, and there was you know these bright villains, and this right. was very colorful and over the top. And this was a drama. Yeah, yeah. This was a movie that if it weren't called Batman or the Dark or or Batman, yeah, if it didn't have the Batman name on right, it, right. it could have been just a thriller about somebody who finds an alter ego sure. to get you know. I don't know, a second lease on life sure, or whatever sure. you want yeah, to call it. Yeah, I mean, it just yeah. could have been a very different movie and it still could have worked. Absolutely. So he just took the Batman mythos 
and Applied you know it in a very new way own style yeah merchant. um but yeah so let me do a plot summary real quick and then we'll dive into it a little more um so when his parents are killed billionaire playboy bruce wayne relocates to asia where he is mentored by henry ducard and raj al ghul in how to fight evil when learning about the plan to wipe out evil in gotham city by ducard bruce prevents this plan from getting any further and heads back to his home Back in his original surroundings, Bruce adopts the image of a bat to strike fear into the criminals and the corrupt. Same the way it icon, did to him. Right. As the icon known as Batman. But it doesn't stay quiet for long. Dun dun dun. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I think, uh, well, uh, you know, um, one of the things I love most about Begins is how they do Ra's al Ghul with uh, Liam Neeson. Um, so again, he introduces himself at the beginning of the movie as this guy named Henry Ducard and um while Ra's al Ghul is this quiet um sort of like red dragon type um figure hiding out in this uh cave with his ninja cult and everything um and then it's later revealed that um uh, Liam Neeson's character was real Ra's al Ghul all right. along um using the other guy as a surrogate uh and so um I mean it's Liam Neeson what more can he say right. but it, it still the way that takes plays on out, a plane, bro. Right. Oh, it's just <laughs> it's bro. I mean, right. You know, I you know how much I love Ronald Wolf. I got that poster up there, and um, the Neil Adams one right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah. the way they bring a character like that who is so comic booky and are able to take his mythos and um, his character and his ideologies and bring him to the big screen in a way that makes sense for um a more grounded movie yes just brilliant you know? well i mean the, does it bring in the lazarus pit idea and all that concept or not, not it, until, it leaves that out um uh, dark knight rises where it kind of touches on okay. it but yeah Got it. Got it. but not in begins no he says he's been around for centuries and stuff but that's never never how or why right, right. what i think is in, what is is important about this movie is that when you're watching it you're having a good time absolutely um it doesn't go into any of the even though it's a darker film and even though it's got a noir again mm-hmm. approach it doesn't have any parts that drag it's constantly fun to watch yeah. christian bale you know redefining the batman character is is, is... especially bruce wayne even more than batman yes yeah, yes yeah. exactly yeah. the batman's whatever um, a lot of that can, could really be done by any actor. Right. You just do a little growl and you do your thing. But the Bruce Wayne part of it and, and yeah, all of that. You're a grunt like Yes, this. but he has the apprehension <laughs> that, that with, as Bruce Wayne and, 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 and a, um, he's a standoffishness and, and, and an awkwardness that you right. don't often see in that character. It's really well per- portrayed. And the relationship between him and Rachel, um, played by Katie Holmes in that one, later played by Maggie Gyllenhaal in mm-hmm. Dark Knight. But um, that feels really grounded really natural mm-hmm. um they have solid chemistry there uh and i like katie Holmes slightly more but they're both really yeah yeah excellent. yeah absolutely yeah um so yeah i mean you know i can't tell you how many times i've seen all three you know but mm-hmm. many 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 um but like i said i'm always go back and forth between begins and dark knight is which one's my favorite yeah just because begins is favorite origin story um it does so much so many interesting things um i love the first i mean he doesn't even put on the bat suit until well over an hour into the movie um but you have all that uh, fascinating stuff going on in asia um with the league of shadows then his return to gotham then you have morgan freeman playing which is fox and michael kane playing alfred and all these things that kick-started 
you know, what became one of the defining trilogies of the 21st century. And you know what else is interesting, too? I was just thinking about it. In a lot of ways, this is the blueprint for every one of those Marvel TV shows oh, on Netflix. Yeah. All of them. Uh, Daredevil? I mean, yep. think about how in that show he doesn't put on his suit. You just kicked yep. it off yep. with the fact that he doesn't have his actual suit yep. until, like, maybe the last episode or whatever. Maybe the last couple. In season one. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, He's wearing the black one throughout. With the freaking the the thing yep. over yep. his yeah. eyes. Yeah, yeah, like a little hoodie yep. thing. Oh, yeah. It's literally in the uh, season one, episode 13. In the last really few minutes is when he right. comes out. It's sort of like a tease in. to the yeah. yeah yeah okay. But but yeah, I mean, it really had you know laid out this idea, which which has led to really good things like mm-hmm. the like the Marvel uh, series on Netflix, and it led to really bad things. Um, Goyer, who a lot of people want to take credit away from and say that he didn't really have much to do with Begins. I I don't, I I don't think that's fair because uh, yeah. he would like. Uh, I think like, he was instrumental. I've read that book down there and. Uh, he was the one. He wrote the script initially. Obviously, no one worked with him on the rewrite. Sure. But, um, they, I mean, he, and at that point, at that time, he was. He said he was directing Blade Trinity and writing this, so he would literally work all day on the set and then come and meet Christopher Nolan in a garage, and they were writing. So that's a passion project, together, and whether so, yeah, and wh- however yeah. you feel about Goyer's later work, yeah, taking this away from it isn't fair. No, and and also, I mean. He he he'll say himself a little bit arrogantly that he contributed in large part to superheroes on screen because mm-hmm. there was a time when there wasn't any, and then Blade was a big success, yeah. um, and it led in All his right. mind to this There's resurgence. Some truth to that. I'm not gonna like I said. I have plenty of. Pro- I mean, I don't like a lot of Gore's work as well, but I don't. I think it's unfair to like discredit his contributions at the same time. You know. Sure, I I totally agree. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, so okay, let's begins. move on um, to uh, to one of my favorite oh, Nolan films. Um, this is one of my favorite films probably ever. And I've actually only watched it once on purpose because I want it to have that impact that, yeah, I, yeah. that I felt the first time forever for me. Right, right. And this is an interesting one because for a while there, even though they're very different, I always got this confused with The Illusionist, that Norton one. Yeah, that, and they came out around the same time too. They yeah, really yeah, did. This yeah. film is far superior better. Oh, but they're very better. similar uh in in tone and and vibe and, and, and competitiveness and all that kind of shit and they're both about magicians so. yeah. Well, uh, yeah 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 that's yeah. the big that's the big tie right um but anyway why don't we start by doing a plot summary and then we'll dive into why we like this movie so much okay in the end of the 19th century in london robert angier his beloved wife julia mccullough and alfred borden are friends and assistants of a magician um when Julia accidentally dies during a performance, Robert blames Alfred for her death and they become enemies. Both become famous and rival magicians, sabotaging the performance of the other on the stage. When Alfred performs a successful trick, Robert becomes obsessed trying to disclose the secret of his competitor with tragic consequences. Um, this is one of the... Re- I'm going to just start at the end and just yeah. say this is one of the reasons... Why I love, love twists. Because yeah. mm-hmm. this is one of those earth-shattering twists that make this film. Right. This right. film would be less good than it is significantly in my mind mm-hmm. if, it, if it didn't turn out to be about what it's about. There's a quote on the cover that of the box that I'm holding yep. in my hand here, and it says, The Prestige. You want to see it again the okay. second it's over from Peter Travers' Rolling Stone, yep. who's you know, notoriously a very fair, harsh, harshish critic. Sure. Um, it... The ending of this movie is one of those endings that makes you question everything about life, about what would you do, about the nature of humanity, about the nature of, of, of life. Yeah. What is the spark of life? What makes us who we are? 
um, in a way that you weren't expecting this film to take you. Absolutely. And, you know, what a film that is originally just about a rivalry of magicians, um, in an interesting way, it also ends up making a statement about how tragic and deadly being that competitive can be, especially mm-hmm. just for the sake of competition. Um, and, and, and just how intense it gets by the end really hits that message home. Mm-hmm. But it's a good movie throughout. Oh, absolutely. Um, and we have a cast of Hugh Jackman. Yep. Um, and Christian Bale. Hugh Jackman is freaking brilliant in this. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Christian Bale is great, too. Um, Michael it might Caine, be my favorite Jackman performance. Huh? I mean, yeah, he's so good yeah. in it. He's so good yeah. as this just driven guy. Yeah. Um, Michael Caine, Scarlett Johansson. Mm-hmm. And she was great in it as well. And David Bowie yeah. as Nikola Tesla. Yep. Um, Andy Serkis is in it, too. I didn't know that, but that's awesome. And um, the woman that plays... Uh, Piper Parabu plays... Um, and Jay's wife. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, really. Nice. Yep. Nice. So, it's, I mean, it's an amazing cast. There's so many, but, yeah. Um, so, I saw this movie years ago, and I can't, I remember, so, I had seen Batman Begins in theaters, um, uh, and, um, but so, at that point, you know, the concept of the director hadn't really sunk into me yet, but, um, I would, back when Blockbuster still existed, I would go on the weekends often to, um, Impetum Movies there, and, I had heard some talk about this movie at school one time, and I was like, that sounds cool, so I gotta check it out, and so, yeah, I was in middle school when I first saw it, and I remember, like, I, I saw it, I had to watch it with my dad right after, because I was just like, you gotta see this, like, it, and, um, and that just kickstarted, we've seen it so many times together, like, he's gone with me to all, like, all the Nolan movies together, and again, he's not one who, like, keeps up directors, but, like, um, we've seen every Nolan movie together since, you know. No, I mean um, it's 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 masterful. Because it just uh, and uh, there's so many things to love about it. The performances are astonishing. Um, the storytelling mechanisms and all building up to that twist at the end. Um, and like you said, you know, like these two guys do horrible things to each other, and they're so obsessed with the with perfection and perfecting their craft and at the even if it means hurting each other and other people or themselves right in horrific ways right and even then you're still so invested in their stories and um it's weird that you find yourself like rooting for one or the other um because that's how they draw you into it with their performances with the writing with the stylistic choices um, with this concept of the prestige yes. as as um spoken by very uh, eminently right, by right. Uh, Michael Caine where he goes there's this there's that and yeah. there's the prestige the, yeah. it's the, um, the pledge the turn and the prestige there you yeah. go um, and uh, those being the ingredients of magic and, that, and, oh, and, and that I opening, also that opening scene too is just so like takes uh, um, the present action is taking place in a courtroom as Christian Bell's character um, is on trial for Robert's murder um, and it has that chilling introduction with the voiceover of Michael Caine talking about how there are three parts to every magic trick and he's like the first part is called the pledge and, like, <laughs> and it's just uh, so good it is so good and and I love the, that kind of scene that kind of moment yeah. is the reason I love voiceover narration yeah. although some people are against it I love it and it's yeah. for that very reason it kills 
uh, certain scenes just rock because right, of it. Right. Um, I love being let in. Yes. It's like the door has been cracked open just a nudge, and he's going to yep. give me a hint on what's going on. Yep. Very Burn Notice ask this TV show called yeah, Burn yeah, Notice, yeah. where he yeah. goes, "When you're a spy, this is what you do." And it's yeah. even though it's a little over the top, it's just fun to learn spy tips. Right. Right. Um, same thing with magic, and magic in TV and movies is one of my favorite subjects of all time. Uh, the Prestige and the Illusionist, of course, famously. Um, also, Jonathan Creek. I always talk about that show. It's a British show that I actually mm. watch every night before bed because it's become my oh, favorite wow. show. Cool. I know, right? Um, and it's about a magician's assistant who designs all his tricks, and he uses his knowledge from that to solve murder mysteries hmm. and like locked room mysteries and things like that. And it's got it's a little bit of like a comedy mystery show, but like much more on the serious side than just comedy. Sure. And by the end, he gives like a fifteen minute rundown of how the trick was done, and it's just it's brilliant. You got to check it out sometime. Sure. It's 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 great. It's on BritBox now, by the way, for any any listeners who, and that's now available through Amazon streaming service. When I found that out last night, I got a little excited. But Jonathan Creek's amazing, and and any of these type of things that use magic. Magic is such a cool thing, and I actually I like movies and tv shows about magic better than i like magic shows okay um i find them fascinating well you know i mean it's just such a cool guy because with magic you really want to some people say knowing how it's done ruins it for me that doesn't happen for me i'm just so intrigued by the ingenuity that i enjoy that more than i would enjoy the feeling of being fooled sure sure so anyway it's great it's got every ingredient to be great and i mean that was when i decided that i thought jonathan Nolan. i mean christopher yeah. Christopher Jonathan Nolan. did co-write this one. Right. Yeah, yeah. But then I thought and Christopher Nolan was... it's based on a was... novel, too. I should say that. Too. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. When I said that Christopher Nolan is a true genius and this film is a masterpiece. Absolutely. That was the point when I started saying that. Right, right. All right, what's next? All right, and that brings us to Dark Knight. And so. and, and, and there's no there's no break between and Dark Knight. And Prestige was 2000... Well, it actually begins with 2005. Prestige is 2006. But then he and does then Dark the other Knight, two. 2008. But, so. And then also... And then um, it's like two years apart after that. Everyone rises. Um, yeah, because rises was twenty twelve, inception was twenty ten. So oh, like so he years. does a break between each one. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't yeah. realize that. All yeah. right. Um, okay. Cool. So let's uh, let's talk Dark Knight. Okay. Uh, so tell me what you know about this. <laughs> what do I know? Um, Everything. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, I think. Well, I think the big thing to note. I think one of the biggest reasons why the Dark Knight trilogy is so successful is. When they started writing it, they only took it one movie at a time. They didn't say we're gonna make a trilogy and like and plan for the like today. You see that a lot of people planning like okay, this is gonna be a six film saga and there's gonna be multiple spinoffs and all that instead of just taking it one movie at a time and focusing on let's make this one good. So obviously, following the success of Begins, um, Christopher and David Goyer and Jonathan Nolan talked about where to take the story next. People were hammering for a sequel they of course tease the joker at the end of begins um so this brings us to dark knight in 2008 um you know at this point he's much more established um people are in love with bell's batman you know everything's in place for a good sequel um and it's really interesting that like it's a sequel because um it does stand on its own so well mm-hmm. um a lot of and... people to a lot of people there is no Batman Begins. Right, the Dark right. Knight is the great movie. Right, right. And it's with Heath Ledger and right. that Joker performance. I mean, first of all, what's one thing that's really notable about it is the fact that Heath Ledger won the Academy Award. Now, it happened Post- posthumously, yeah. right? Um, and so, therefore, you know, there is a, a piece of it in that this is the last chance he'll have to get the respect he deserves as an actor. Right. It's also just how amazing that performance was. This is a movie that elevated the superhero form really for the first time ever to right. the status of a true... Uh, you know, filmic 
masterpiece. Right, like right. this is the one where you could call a superhero movie a masterpiece for the first time ever. Yeah. You could maybe say it about Batman Begins, but probably you wouldn't. Right. And most people didn't. At, at this at the point where things really changed. And it was just coming off the heels of Iron Man, so the very beginning of the MCU. Right. Um and everyone loved that, but I mean that really good popcorn flick, really good blockbuster, but like you know, not they, what not what the Dark Knight was. Right, right. The way it explored in an empathetic way madness mm-hmm. and the effect that madness has on those around the mad person. Right. And it did that with both Harvey Dent and with the Joker and right, in a brilliant right. way. And both those performances are great. Obviously the Joker overshadows that entire film and just becomes what it's about because that performance is so unique right it's not even how good it is how good it is is remarkable yeah but how different it is is what makes it so special so what uh, uh, flashing forward to suicide squad all of us were thinking like ooh, leto you know what perform (laughs) what's he gonna bring you know he's he's this auteur actor um right um he's or i should i just say just you know he's one of those actors that people expect things from after um mcconaughey movie um about uh, him having HIV. Oh, um, Dallas Buyers Club. Dallas Buyers Club yeah. and performances like that. Um, you know, people, he, he's certainly no longer the guy that was on My So-Called Life yeah. um, as uh, as the love interest. Sure. He's now elevated to, you know, a, a, a brilliant actor who could be Oscar nominated and, and win. And, you know, he we expected great things from him. And he gave us a completely by-the-numbers Joker performance. I mean, granted, it had a little different edge in all in mostly negative ways yeah uh, you know appropriating concepts that didn't need to be appropriated and that's a whole nother subject which sure. you could get on an earlier podcast um we had some good guests on that one in mm. fact um but heath ledger you know brought something completely new and great to this mm-hmm. and you could see with the suicide squad example of how bad it can go when you bring something new that sucks yeah, yeah. um and this was just completely unique i mean the way he took that role and 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 i, I mean i i'm not i can't there's no way to really well, describe like, it. Yeah, I just, it's one of those I remember where I was, when I was, when I was. And that's, you know, it's uh, for me who has spent a lifetime watching movies in theaters and at home to remember exactly like who I was with and who I, when I saw that. And, you know, that was, what, eight years ago, nine years mm-hmm. ago, uh, you know, um, because I always remember, I mean, I saw it with some friends and um, as soon as it was over, one of them just said like, that was the best movie I've ever seen, you know, I mean, wow. like, uh, and, um, I mean, granted, we were, like, 15, but sure. still, like, but it had that kind of effect of just, like, mesmerizing. You may have been you know? 15, but A, yeah. 15 is, is yeah. pretty old to, to kind of starting to develop your tastes. Yeah. And also, you know, you were a film buff. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. to say that, I mean, it must have been pretty stellar, and it yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, give a synopsis. All right, so... Set within a year after the events of Batman Begins, Batman Lieutenant James Gordon and new District Attorney Harvey Dent successfully begin to round up the criminals that plague Gotham City until a mysterious and sadistic criminal mastermind known only as the Joker appears in Gotham, creating a new wave of chaos. Batman's struggle against the Joker becomes deeply personal, forcing him to confront everything he believes and improve his technology to stop him. A love triangle develops between Bruce Wayne, Dent, and Rachel Dawes. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's one of those, it's like, I don't know what more is there to say because there've been so many articles, podcasts, books written about this, but, um, yeah. Do you remember like when you saw it the first time, like what it was like? Hmm. Yeah. I went to the theater to see it. I yeah. don't remember the exact, I remember when Rise is really well. Okay. Yeah. Um, but when I saw Dark Knight, I mean, I just remember having, you know, the thing that stands out to me the most 
is the scene where the Joker busts in in his van. Yes. And and he just runs in there with the guns and the bank and that whole scene. That's right. the scene I remember the most. And I actually believe that it was shot a different way, wasn't it? Wasn't there something about how it was done in IMAX, that scene? And I saw the movie I in IMAX. So. Uh, I have to look into that. It was yeah. the start... It was the start of this whole thing. It's another little subgenre mm-hmm. of Christopher Nolan's career. Um, him championing uh, different film techniques. Right. Um, no, um, uh, notably, he's anti 3D. Right. Um, and very pro old school film stock, 70 millimeter, as sure. we'll see later in his films. Um, and he also, I remember it, I do remember it. It was IMAX. He shot, um, he's a big proponent of IMAX as well. He shot Dunkirk in full IMAX. Um, Except for uh, twenty minutes or so um, that take place in the in the boat, mm-hmm. but he he was a, he he basically shot that whole Joker uh, robbery scene mm-hmm. in IMAX. So if you went to IMAX theaters, the picture would get bigger at that point. And it would just be completely absorbing and awesome. And I did see it in IMAX, and it was a really cool experience. I mean, I just remember having a great time at that movie. I don't love that movie like people do, where mm-hmm. people are like, "This is the, like you said, it's the best movie I've ever seen," and, and and things like that. I, I just thought it was really phenomenally yeah. good. Um, yeah. but it didn't move me in that way. But the the performance by Ledger, I don't think you could ever meet a person that wouldn't say that's just one of the yeah. greatest performances ever caught on film. Sure. And, and and the whole movie in general just elevated. And it accomplished two things. Not only, like I said before, and not to be repetitive, but not only did it elevate superhero to the to the status of, of, of great, truly epic filmmaking on the level of like a Scorsese or something-ish, mm-hmm. it also... Um, was a great movie yeah. that was really fun and that made a ton of money and ton of money and mm-hmm. uh, and was a popular success. So it, it accomplished and it has all other those really goals. strong performances too. I mean, Aaron Eckhart's too. I, I never understood why Aaron Eckhart didn't like take off as much after because I think he gives a great performance mm-hmm. as Two Face there. Um, well, mainly Harvey Dent, but um, shows up as Two Face at the end. But like he never, you know, he made like a he made a really terrible sci-fi movie. Um, a couple years later, and then some rom-coms. And stuff. Well, he did Thank I You did. for Smoking, which was a hit. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, yeah. And he did this movie Possession with Gwyneth Paltrow yeah. that was pretty good, but never anything really huge. I just thought he would have get, gotten more of to superstar status like no. after that, but I don't know. But I just to say that I really pretty much everything was overshadowed yeah. um, by yeah. by that Joker performance. Sure, sure. So sure, I'd say that's why. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I was going to say it's all my favorite superhero movie. Um, Still, yeah. Um, and again, I, there are still things about Begins I like better. Um, I like that it's more like condensed and like there's some. I think the dialogue is overall stronger in Begins than it is in Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. But again, the scope and the epic, just grandiose aspects of Dark Knight are what makes it what it is. And that final scene never ceases to give me chills when Batman decides to take the blame for. Um, Joker's murders to cover up Dent's legacy, um, and that you have Hans Zimmer score um, coming up, and he, him and Gordon talking, and then he's running off into the night. That always is. I I listen to that song over and over and over again. Um, but yeah, so there's just moments like that that just hit me and like um, and stick with me. Don't and, you love it yeah. when you can listen to a, like a soundtrack song and it brings you right back to how you felt yes. when you've seen the movie? Yes. That's that's yeah. that's that's the that's what it has the effect. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so moving on. Yep. Um, next up um, is Inception, and this is the movie that um, I'd say defined the other half of his career. Yeah. So he's got kind of two halves, and one half half of it is Dark Knight mm-hmm. and those films. 
um, and, and to some extent, you know, Memento and, and that kind of thing, uh-huh. and the prestige. And then the other half is this brilliant speculative sci-fi half right, right. Um, that is defined by Inception and Interstellar. Right. And those movies are just my favorite by far of, of Nolan's work. Sure. I think that the concept of Inception and this idea of shared dreams, there's one little quibble I had with it, which is I wish they had like better tech for the way they share yeah. dreams. I yeah, think yeah. those little wrist things look ridiculous, yeah, yeah. and it took me out of it. <laughs> I know it shouldn't matter, but it does because no, it I mean, looks yeah. ludicrus. Well, like, we're how would that work? Balls, and we're going to create it. Exactly. But as a film and the concept of dreams within dreams and the way that affects time and the thought outness Mm -hmm. of this movie, it is the most well thought out, brilliant, speculative sci fi. I mean, that I've ever seen. It's certainly on par with anything else. Right, right. Um, And the visuals on the Inception are mind blowing. Yeah. I mean, a movie like Doctor Strange wouldn't exist without Inception. Uh, Tons of other movies wouldn't. The way that they go into dreams and start rewriting them was just insane. Right. Um, I wasn't. The, I thought DiCaprio's performance was okay. I didn't think it was a oh, masterpiece. Really? I think yeah, I think it's one of his best. But yeah. 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 Okay. Um, but I really liked him, and he was serviceable. Um, I just didn't think okay. it was like, oh my god. Um, but I also get a little taken out. Uh, sometimes with DiCaprio, I like him. Sometimes and sometimes okay. like he. he oh, I didn't do it, but he all puts me. The scene where you see. Um, his wife commits suicide because she believes she's still in the dream mm-hmm. and all that. Like, and he's like crying over that. Uh, I think is. I have to uh, see it again. Really I'd have to see that again. Yeah, uh, just really impactful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but you know, it's it's also my other flip side to this, as brilliant as it is, is that it's also very, like, I, like I I bit my nails down to nothing watching that movie because, yeah. um, think about the scene where the van is over the water, and they're in a dream within a dream within a dream. So every like. Awesome millisecond <laughs> is like minutes or 10 minutes right, in their right. world and that it, it's awesome sure yeah. and the concept of it is amazing and it's and they thought everything through but it so deeply takes you out of it but no 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 it, it, it it's, i'm in it so deeply emotionally that i'm dying yeah that's right. um i was just like oh the truck's gonna hit oh my god the truck's gonna hit <laughs> and as it's moving it's affecting the gravity where they are i mean it's just so well thought out yeah. such brilliant work yeah uh, I mean that movie is 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 awesome, and I want to see it again. It's been a long time since I've seen it. You know how long it took him to write it? No, ten years. Come on. Yeah. So he was doing it while he was doing other shit. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's one like, I mean, basic. He's. I think he got the idea back when he did Memento, and really, if you look at Memento, it's almost like, uh, like I, it's called following like a progression of Memento. Memento is like a prelude to Inception, in that, um, yeah, it's really interesting what he can do on a minimal budget and combine it with the concept of you know a story told backwards um and see how that plays out in the context of a murder mystery and then here it just it's like that on steroids i mean like you know you have i mean the concept of dream sharing and um big budget sci-fi and i remember when it came out you know the um taglines are like james bond meets the matrix which like sells yeah that, that sells it but like i i almost i get annoyed when um movies are described like that because it's that's such a watered down description. I mean, I know it's like yeah. a poster. Well, well no, one, I mean, still. although there's yeah. only been two movies, I think I'm not, I'm not missing any that are like that from him. 
um, it it has almost defined its own subgenre. Absolutely, me. yeah. Uh, yeah. This, this amazingly well thought out cerebral sci-fi. Sure. Because yeah. that and Interstellar is also that way where you really have to think it through. There oh, are books uh, called like Philosophy and Inception. Yeah. Um, where they like explore what it means and, sure. and, and the implications of it. And so yes, there are people like there will always be who can cut plot holes in Inception and say this doesn't make sense because of this and that's whack because of that. And if those things took you out of it, that's fine. I'm sorry. That yeah. sucks for you. Didn't happen to Write me. Write something better. Go Didn't ahead. happen to me. <laughs> yeah. um, and you're never going to be able to find a sci-fi movie that's creative and takes risks that doesn't have some way of being cut apart right. by some skeptic. Right, right. Um, it's an, it's 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 a nature of the business. Right. Um, but this um, movie is about as good as a crea- of a creative vision um, as any I've ever seen. Sure. I'd say. You want me to do a summary real quick? Yeah. Here. Cool. So Dom Cobb, uh, played by DiCaprio, is a skilled thief, the absolute best in the dangerous art of extraction, stealing valuable secrets from deep within the subconscious during the dream state. Oh, I love that. Oh, shit. I know. When the, the mind heists. is at its mind most heists. vulnerable, right? I love it. Cobb's rare ability has made him a coveted player in this treacherous new world of corporate es- corporate espionage, but it has also made him an international fugitive and cost him everything he has ever loved. Now Cobb is being offered a chance at redemption. One last job could give him his life back, but only if he can accomplish the impossible, Inception. Instead of the perfect heist, Cobb and his team of specialists have to pull off the reverse. Their task is not to steal an idea, but uh, to plant one. If they succeed, it could be the perfect crime. But no amount of careful planning or expertise can prepare the team for the dangerous enemy that seems to predict their every move. An enemy that only Cobb could have seen coming. It's so good. It's just just thinking about it. And just a quick mention of the rest of the cast. I mean, so uh, I, I I love the cast. Hardy rules like, in this. Hardy, this is one of my favorite Hardy performances. Hardy and Killian Murphy, I think, are like oh yeah, really the superstars for me. Um, but then also, um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, what's uh, I'm drawing a blank on the wife. Um, the Fred guy. The, oh who's um, in Dark Knight Rises. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't think of it right now. Okay, but I know who you, you mean. Look at it, but. I feel bad. Can you look it up? Yeah, I will. And then Ellen Page, um, Ken Watanabe, Michael Caine, uh, because Michael Caine is in uh, every Nolan movie. Uh, He he really takes risks with who he decides to put in. It's it's fascinating. Uh, Ellen Page was a really, (laughs) really unique choice for that role. Very different. Very inspired casting. She nails it, but Uh very, very weird. Yeah. And I think the way that ensemble works together is just so cohesive and... um, it you know you've got tenets of a classic heist movie but merged with this epic sci-fi world and what i love about their performances is that you know the key to a brilliant sci-fi movie is like the like this is that they're already invested in this world so while we're amazed by everything taking place into it to them it's natural yeah and so and i think they pull that off well the way you get that done and westworld does it really well too Mm -hmm. the way you get that kind of thing done is by truly epic world building yeah, yeah um you have to have a bible for your show or movie that is so comprehensive that 95 percent of it is never seen on screen Absolutely. but it informs the decisions and the performances and the choices that are made um by the characters and by the the producers and having that kind of world building is crucial and i know that films like this did that mm-hmm. where they think everything through so these people are acting authentically based on data you know what's a really good analogy i'm going to use an interesting analogy did you get her name, by the way? Marianne Cotillard. That, thank you. Marianne Cotillard. Yeah. Um, so this is a really cool analogy I just thought of. Okay. i got to drop it. So MP3s. 
what they are is the way that everybody listens to music now pretty much. It's a compression format um, that some computer geek somewhere um, designed so that you could store things like, so WAV files keeps the music exactly intact. It's an exact representation pretty much of the data in 44.1 or 40, whatever. And really um, assert, you know, it, it uses enough data to give you the exact reproduction of the sound or at least pretty mm. exact. MP3, and but they take up space. You know, there's a certain amount of space they each take up. That's why you can only have, you know, 13 or 14 songs on a CD. Sure. With MP3s, you can have hundreds of songs on a CD because it cuts out certain parts. The parts it cuts out are technically inaudible to the human ear. But if you listen to an MP3 and you listen to a WAV file, they sound different. Because, audiophiles will tell you, the sounds you do not hear affect the sounds you do hear. Um, and because of that fact, they are actually affecting what's audible to the human ear. Mm -hmm. It's a perfect analogy for the way that movies, having a show Bible that's comprehensive, mm -hmm. all of those factors are affecting those performances. You don't see it, you don't hear it, exactly. but the way that DiCaprio is performing is based on it, yeah, and it yeah. gives it an authenticity and a realness that you cannot accomplish otherwise. Right, right. So, I'm proud of myself for that one. That's a really good one. No, that's great. <laughs> okay, I love it. But yeah, um, so yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, Hardy's probably—I mean, his character is my favorite, probably. In the I movie. love that character. Um, Eames, it's just yeah. Love like, that character, man. I, I just love his subtlety in it, like the scene when they're at the coffee shop, um, when they're in Mombasa, Mombasa, like yeah. um, right before the big shootout, and they're just talking, and um, he's talking about uh, why um, the time that he tried Inception had failed, and um, uh, and. He's like, and just the way he talks, he's just like, oh, Arthur, go still hang around him all you, you know, like, it's just, oh, it's brilliant. If I had to say the one thing that I, I liked the least about it, I love the relationship, mm -hmm. and, and it's the driving force um, with DiCaprio and uh, uh, Cotillard's characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I think it, it, it got a little too bleak for my tastes. In okay. those scenes yeah. where you're in the depths and they're alone in this world it's they intense. created for themselves, yeah. Yeah. it really hurt me. It pained me. And I wished I could it's get... A, it's a horrific thing to imagine yes. to be stuck in this limbo. You know? Right. It's almost... That's more It's a fate worse than, than death. It's very much, you know, I'd rather watch a character die than have to see them trapped in that. For eternity yeah. Yeah. and yeah. then maybe alone. I mean, it's yeah. just yeah. a horrible thought. Yeah. Um, and so because of just how horrific that was it took me out of the fun of the heist a bit That's fair, yeah. so that would be my only criticism unfortunately though it's like taking uh tomato uh uh, uh spaghetti sauce with meat mm -hmm. and uh and taking out like you know the oregano and and it's like this sauce doesn't taste as good mm -hmm. anymore it's a crucial ingredient sure and and you may not like oregano on its own but it, if you don't have it the the, the recipe doesn't work mm -hmm. and so if you don't have that driving force for him if you don't have those parts the whole movie wouldn't work however i kind of wish you could take it down a notch and and let me enjoy the fun factor of the heist and the lore sure, and, sure. The, and the, the world building a little more sure. but anyway those are just my little nitpicks it's a yeah. long movie uh it gets really intense one thing we ha we can't not talk about is obviously the ending, um, and and it's not a spoiler to say I'm sure everybody's seen it, listens to this, but um, it's a, it's a it's a geek staple. But um, there's the idea it's, of um, are in they in a dream yeah. or not um, right. at the end, and right. there's a coin that's spinning. And the idea is that Leonardo DiCaprio throughout the film can spin a coin, and if it spins eternally and never stops, uh, then he's in a dream, right? Because that's impossible because of gravity right if he's not in a dream it will wobble and then fall right and so at the end of the movie he flips the coin it's spinning the camera zooms in on it 
and then it looks like it's going to wobble a little bit, and, and then, then it, it just keeps black. spinning, and then it goes to black. Yeah. Um, and so you have to wonder, is it a dream right. or not? Which, which you know, it's... It's always a fun It's thing cool. To speculate. It's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what you came down on? I still think he he he's awake. But yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just... I mean, to have that kind of, like, odyssey and see him going to the kids, like, I don't think... No, I think Nolan does that more as a tease, just yeah. to make because he knew that it would spawn that kind of reaction. Yeah, um, it's so, fun. Uh, it's it fun, is. and it lets people draw their own conclusion at right. the end. If that's what they want from it, if they want to take it more bleak, right? Let them. But I want to leave it at an optimistic note because that scene is too perfect in the way it's done when he's leaving the airport and the Hans Zimmer square comes up and he goes to meet his kids. It's just like <laughs> it's just too. I'm like, come on, this guy's been through hell. Like, just, yeah. Give it to him. Give it to him. Exactly. All right, cool. Um, So next up, um, we have one of my least favorite Nolan films. Okay. Um, The Dark Knight Rises. Right? Is that next? Yeah, that is. Yeah. Um, I saw this movie on opening night. I Mm -hmm. got tickets. It was tough. So there was a time when superhero, and at this era, 2012, of superhero movies, when they were getting, they were really big. There were a lot of Marvel movies at that point. Not as much as there are now. Yeah. But it was getting there. It was before movie theaters had figured out how to deal with it. Avengers just came out, yeah. It was before they figured out how to deal with it and figured out how to do, like, we can do five theaters doing one movie tonight and then shift it tomorrow to three. And sure. they just had figured out a better way to handle it because now we can go any Thursday or Friday without buying tickets in advance and always see the new movie. Right. Back then it wasn't like that. I'm sure you remember. Yeah. You had to buy yeah. tickets in advance or else you yep. may not get a seat. Yep. So I bought tickets to Dark Knight Rises. I went with this girl I was seeing at the time. And yes, I'd had a long day at work and things like that, but like I was drowsy in yeah. parts of that movie. I was tired. Also, the problem that I have with it is that um, uh, the main character is handicapped by a mask the entire mm. time, so I don't get to see him emote at all. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, take a brilliant actor named Tom Hardy and then do, mm, to him. Yeah. You know, so he's just like, mm, mm, mm. Right, and it's just right. like, I, I mean, why do I have to listen to a muffled-ass version of an actor performing? Um, I also don't love the main character that much. Anyways, an okay, okay villain, not my favorite. Um, and I think the plot is overwrought. I think it's a little bit messy. I think it's not very fun. Mm-hmm. It certainly isn't very fun at all. Um, there's just a lot of problems that I have with that movie. I don't. I don't think it's. You're a, not alone. I don't think that, it's a but, mess. Yeah, yeah. But I just actually, I kind of think it's a mess. But I don't think it's horrible. It's just not very good. Sure. So. You're not alone in that. I still. I mean, I, I understand all the criticisms people have of it. I personally still enjoy it a lot. I mean, yeah, it's definitely weaker than Begins and Dark Knight, no doubt. But is it fun? Yeah, I still quite enjoy it. I mean, like for what it is, I like how it kind of blends aspects of the. I mean, this the comic nerd. I mean, but the Nightfall trilogy, which is where it draws all the Bane elements from, and then Dark Knight Returns, the idea of you know Bruce Wayne being retired for all these years, coming out to deal with a new threat in Gotham, etc. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are glaring plot holes in it, um, but there are still a lot of things I really love about it. Part of it, you know, you mentioned where you were at your, uh, your life uh, when you saw it. Like, I w- it's interesting to think about it. So when I saw Dark Knight, it was in between middle and high school. And then when I saw Dark Knight Rises, it was in between high school and college. So I was at a really good point. I mean, it was the summer. I was excited. So, yeah, I mean, I still saw it three times in theaters. So, um and I mean, well also you were coming off you know this love and excitement for like you know this giddiness of dark Nolan night and yeah. Batman. Yeah, right I mean, right so, so it's part of part of it's right, that right but um there's a lot of things i like about it. i really like joseph gordon levitt in it as the um even though they don't say it till the end he's basically the robin character uh-huh. um i'd say he most closely res- if 
if he resembles any of the Robins from the comics, he most closely resembles Tim Drake um, because he's a detective type character that figures out Batman's identity on his own um, and works with him and is a cop. Um, So I really like that. Um, Yeah, the Bane stuff is pretty laughable with the voice or everything. But still, I like that they give... Because prior to that, the only live-action version of Batman of Bane we had seen was in Batman and Robin, where he's just horribly depicted as just all muscles, no brains. Whereas in the comics, he's a very intelligent character who also has a lot of muscle, but um, he's the one who um, figures out Batman's identity, breaks his bat uh, um, in Nightfall, does all these things. And so I think he's a really interesting protagonist that... I mean, antagonist, sorry, that um, despite the, you know, muffled uh, dialogue in it, I think the writing and portrayal of him is pretty solid. Um, so there's still a lot of things I like about Rises. Mm-hmm. Um, did it get good reviews? I think it did. It still got decent. I mean, like, I remember, like, e- I mean, Ebert had given four stars to both Begins and Dark Knight. He gave three to Rises. So, you know... The, the general consensus was... But then, um, I remember Richard Roper gave it a really glowing review. So, it was still, you know, but... I think it's been more criticized in years since, because when it came out, people were still all hyped up about everything. Yeah. So it was, you know, um, it didn't quite sink in. It's been, of course, ripped apart and made fun of since then. Um, yeah. And, you know, the big plot holes, like, um, you know, when he gets out of the... Um, prison thing like uh, abroad and then all of a sudden shows up in Gotham like the next day how he manages not only get out of the prison but then get a plane over to the US you know um things like that right you know that's that's forgivable though that doesn't really bother me sure sure I'll tell you what also in the film's favor is this sweet lenticular cover Um, yeah yeah, it's really cool I'm I'm looking at the uh the blu-ray that uh Kevin has here of it and and as you turn it 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 doesn't really change so much as it just kind of moves the it's background like a little bit. Like kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's cool, man. I like uh, I love lenticular uh, Blu-ray covers sure, when sure. they do them. Sure. Um, but I'll do a plot summary real quick, and then yeah. any other thoughts. Um, but eight years after the events of the Dark Knight, find Gotham at a time of peace. This is due to Batman taking the fall for Harvey Dent's murder. However, a new evil force named Bane has arrived in Gotham and aims to take over the city and expose the truth behind who Dar- Harvey Dent really was. Now that Way Manor has been completely rebuilt, Bruce Wayne has become almost reclusive, rarely leaving the estate. And with Bane taking over the city by force, it forces Batman to come out of retirement. But his allies are few and far apart. An elusive jewel thief by the name of Selina Kyle could be the key to stopping Bane, but whose side is she on? That was the other thing. What do you think of Hathaway's Catwoman? Um, I thought it was all right. Okay. I yeah. wasn't like in love with it. I thought it was, yeah. it was it was it was serviceable. You know yeah. what I mean? How about you? Solid. Yeah. I mean, not like my favorite, but um, but I love her in Interstellar. So like, you know. Um, oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think I. I mean, uh, definitely probably the best actress to play that role. Um, at that. So I think it's pretty solid. Cool. Um, Very but, cool. But I really like Marion Cotillard in that as Talia. Uh, yeah. As like that was probably my. Uh, did do you like the twist that? It's revealed that she's Talia at the end. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I thought that was good. Yeah. Um, I, the movie is just so lengthy 
that it at that lot, point, yeah. at yeah. that point, yeah. I was just kind of like checked out. Um, I need to see this movie again. I actually bought it recently to see it again. One Black Friday. Have you not seen it since? No. Then? Oh, really? No, okay. I've only yeah, seen yeah. it one on opening, really? and I just okay. did. I just didn't enjoy it, and so I never watched it again. So I have a feeling that I may be checking in later on the podcast in a later episode, giving an update. That would be interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. And I bet you I might uh, have a, a, a more favorable opinion of it. Sure. Because um, really, that happened to me with Interstellar. Like, I mean, I liked it when it came, when I first saw it, but I wasn't in love with it. Now I've seen it five times since, and I love it. So well, that's a good segue. Let's yep. dive into that. Okay. one. is that next? Yep. All right. Let me just read put some yeah first yeah. Let's do that. So, um, so yeah, Dark Knight Rises is twenty twelve. Interstellar is twenty fourteen. Um, and just as a quick interlude, um, again Spielberg was originally set to direct this, left to do other projects, but Jonathan Nolan was already attached as the main screenwriter, had done early drafts of it, so he's the one who um, suggested Christopher that he take on this project. Um, so, in the near future around the American Midwest, Cooper, an ex-science engineer and pilot, is tied to his farming land with his daughter Murph and son Tom. As devastating sandstorms ravage Earth's crops, the people of Earth realize their life here is coming to an end as food begins to run out. Eventually stumbling upon a NASA base near Cooper's home, he is asked to go on a daring mission with a few other scientists into a wormhole because of Cooper's scientific intellect and ability to pilot, air, to pilot aircraft, unlike the other crew members. In order to find a new home while Earth decays, Cooper must decide to either stay or risk never seeing his children again in order to save the human race by finding another habitable planet. Um, is this your favorite one? By I far. Love, yeah, I, by lo- far. I, mean, I love it too. But Interstellar yeah. is my favorite John, uh, Christopher favorite Nolan movie by far. Cool. Um, I think it is a complete masterpiece front to back. I think it uses sci-fi in the most brilliant way to illuminate humanity um, and to show what it's all really about. And the idea of the code coming through the dust and this amazing take. Now, obviously, there's plot holes in every sci-fi, but the concept of him going into an alternate existence and and being able to through a wormhole and and be able to like tap messages through to his daughter earlier in life yeah Yeah. Yeah. and 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 then you know the the flashing forward stuff and the the realization of the future world that's created because of his efforts Mm -hmm. and the 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 amazing first portion the first 30 minutes of this movie when movies generally do that concept and this was a movie i had no idea what to expect when Mm -hmm. we saw the previews for it it looked like it was dust bowl they was, did, and that's what I love too about the trailers. They gave away nothing. Nothing. Yeah. I had no yeah. idea what to expect. I just went they into it like, totally blind. It's a space movie. It's Christopher Nolan directing. It yes. And that was it. it. That's yeah. all I knew. Yeah. And so I was like, wow, how are they going to make this interesting? It's yeah. just him waxing poetic about fatherhood. Right, right. That was it. Yeah. He was like, once you have a daughter, uh, yeah. it becomes pretty clear. <laughs> all you want to do is make a world. Murph, that's great Murph, for them. Murph. Yeah, Murph. yeah, yeah. Lots of that. Right, right. Exactly. There is actually. <laughs> The Honest trailer counted how many times he says Murph in the movie and how many times he says his son's name. And it's hilarious how many he says Murph. And then he's like, dang, he really doesn't love his son much. <laughs> he really doesn't. I mean, he doesn't bond that well with his son. The The movie is, I mean, it, it also has, in addition to being an overall 
beautiful, cohesive movie. Yeah. It also has vignettes that are brilliant. Mm-hmm. I love that one of my favorite moments from this, and, and again, the trappings, it's as good as Star Wars to me in the way that I'm getting grandiose here, but in the way yeah, that sure. that little machine thing, the, the Tars. little... Tars. Was it called? Tars? Tars. Yeah. Tars? Yeah. The way that that thing moves and yeah, rotates, yeah. And, and Nolan himself dictated that. He right, created right. that. The way that it moves and flips, I'm trying to imitate it now. I look like a pop-locking dancer. Yeah, 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 but the yeah, way yeah. he just moves over that water on that water planet yes. that they get to that yes. is the scene that stuck out in my mind the most i love that scene and when he's just like tars and he's just like come swimming over on his little cool little legs and right, shit right. i i love that part and then they get back in the ship and they take off and i just remember that scene so vividly and then they go see matt damon yep. who has basically a fucking vignette of a scene it's just another take on what it would be like to try to find habitable planets and i really like that when it came out they didn't advertise that matt damon was in it because um and they did this thing with seven back in the day with um kevin spacey because i think christopher nolan knew that if he put matt damon on the poster people and he doesn't show up till two hours into the movie people were gonna be wondering oh when's matt damon is gonna show up you know and then get distracted and being taken out of the story that way it was a really smart move to not publicize that at all so that it's a surprise when it's, he does show up it's almost impossible to avoid the problem of casting. Yeah. Um, I'm going to reveal a secret here, not that it's really that secret, but if anybody's at the two-hour mark of our Nolan cast, they'll get my little scoop. Yeah. And this is something that I've impressed people with forever. Uh, watching a murder mystery on television, like mm-hmm. a CSI or a Criminal Intent or The Mentalist or Elementary or any of those kind of shows, if you want to know who the killer is, this doesn't always work, but mm-hmm. about 75% of the time it does. Look at the credits and pick out who the most famous name is yeah. that is not the main character. Yeah. And then another trick, if that doesn't work, uh, look at the character that you could imagine you were casting the show that looks like they would have the most emotional depth. Yeah. Because they want the killer to be the character who can like not just be I'm an evil fuck, but like can be like I'm kind of evil. Human element. Exactly. Yeah. And so they always so if you see whichever one the best actor is or even more clearly the most famous actor yeah. that's not like in the main cast, yeah. that's the killer. Yeah. And that trick works 75% of the time for me and people are astonished. They're just like, "How did you know?" Because it totally doesn't look like that was going to be the killer and I'm like, "Dude." No, that's it's obviously fair, that yeah. dude, especially when you're watching something like a, a procedural from 10 years ago and it's an actor that's since become famous. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm sure it's him. Yep, so yep. anyway, so that's a little trick that works really well. And, and I didn't even realize it the other day when I was rewatching it, but like the um, scene when he first uh, um, meets all the people at NASA and Michael Caine and all those, and they're explaining the mission and they say Dr. Man's name. So on the wall there, they have pictures of um, former crew members from old missions, some that have died and whatnot. And Dr. Man's pictures up on the wall there, mm-hmm. but they don't, um, they purposely uh, arrange the camera so that when um, Michael Caine says like, oh, and Dr. Man over here, and they don't zoom in to his picture, even though they've shown some of the other pictures on there. Mm. And I was like, that's right, yeah. Because they didn't want to show my demons. But that's the thing, right? So movies always have this problem. Kevin Spacey, it would have been a problem. Yeah. Um, Robin Williams in this, in uh, Insomnia. Yeah. And he may have learned his lesson that way. Yeah. In that, as soon as you know Robin Williams is in it and you don't see him yeah. in the very first 10 minutes right, of the film, right. you know he's either the killer or 
the guy you're going to think is the killer the entire right, movie. Right, right, right. And so it's very, very, very hard to do that, but yet you don't want to lose, you don't want to do injustice to that actor by not yeah. giving them cred. You don't want to do injustice to the moviegoer by playing your hand or mm-hmm. showing your hand. Um, but at the same time, you, 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 you want it to be a reveal. Yeah. And so yeah. it's very hard to do. You really it's need tricky. to pick a newcomer at that point. Um, if you want to have, you know, a real sure. surprise, sure, you can't sure. do it with somebody like that. But then if you want to have one. a complicated bad guy, you do. But this one nailed yeah, it. They really did. Yeah. I had no idea he was in it. No one did. Like, I remember it, my dad and I saw it in theaters and we both were like, whoa, that's not him. I think. Yeah. Like, yeah. Is that really him? Yeah. Yeah. And then he had the opportunity later to in the Martian to do it like yeah, yeah, the yeah, non evil yeah, yeah. version of that character, right. right? There's that meme that's like it puts up like Saving Private Ryan, the Martian, or Stellar, and um, and it says like, "Dang, Hollywood spent a lot of money trying to get Matt Damon home." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's definitely true. But anyway, I mean, this movie, it it, it it's moving to me. Yeah. It's emotional. It's everything that the Inception was and more. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I just think it's I think it's definitely uh, Nolan's by far his best work. Um, I think it's an, just an absolute sheer masterpiece. Yeah, I love it too. I mean, um, there's several scenes that really stick out. Um, the first being when Cooper leaves the farmland and Murph is running after him. Mm-hmm. And again, the amazing Hans Zimmer score, of course. I'm going to say this. Oh, yeah, time, that's the other thing like, about this movie. It's got one of the best soundtracks of all time. Period. So beautiful. I just. Uh, and so there's that scene. Um, there's um, the planet that dr man is on i really like that one the like snow one um mm-hmm. and that and the whole that scene is really cool because it juxtaposes it once um matt damon betrays him and is like trying to kill cooper um it juxtaposes it with um back on earth and the dust storms and everything and it's chaotic there the way it does that juxtaposition and just the sheer intensity of that um moment is incredible and then, of course, the wormhole. So there's just several Ugh. moments that really stick out and that I love revisiting. I mean, uh, it's I've just... I've seen it... How many times do you think it's... I've seen it about five. Uh, but, uh. Is that the most, or have you seen Inception more? Or I've Dark seen Inception more? more, a little more. Dark but, Knight more? Uh, yeah. Well, Dark Knight I've seen the most, but... Like, like 15 times? At least. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so yeah. Um, is that everything except for Dunkirk? Yeah. What's your favorite? Be Dark Knight and then Inception. Okay. But... Interstellar is gradual. Like I said, Interstellar didn't, um, when it, I first saw it, I think it was just because it was a lot to grasp. It didn't move me quite as much the first time. I did it. But w- upon revisiting it more and more, I fall in love with it more and more every time. Um, and then also, I mean, it's really hard to rank. The Prestige, prestige too, right? also has a huge... Well, that's my second favorite. Prestige, prestige, I would say... And then I would say Dark Knight. Performance-wise, Prestige is though, because I think... That's Hugh Jackman's best performance of all time. It's one of Christian Bale's best. And it's one like, of the okay, top ten, if not top Jackson. five twists of yeah, all time. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that's cool. A, they're all nice. pretty high up there. But yeah. Awesome. Um, Except so Insomnia, us... right? You're not a huge fan of that one. Well, I've only seen it once, too. I need to review it. Uh-huh. I, I like it fine. It's just not, like, yeah. mind-blowing. Cool. But yeah. Um, so that leads us to his most recent work, which is Dunkirk, which we'll talk about now. Yeah. Um, so Let's I'll talk give... about some Dunkirk. Yeah, give us a... Let me just give a brief... So I'll just... Again, keep the, uh, and by the way, the this is his first take on a war movie. Yes, it is. It's very different. Okay. Um, so, Dunkirk. The film depicts the dramatic and true story of the Dunkirk evacuations from a war-torn beach and harbor in France during world, following the seemingly doomed plight of Allied soldiers in World War II. As the enemy forces close in, it seems the troops have nowhere to go. 
but help is at hand and a fierce battle ensues. Um, so yeah, um, so we both saw this, like, a lot, it's been out, like, about a month now. Um, I saw it opening weekend, you saw it, I think, the following week. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do you want to share your thoughts first, or make a, because there's not a whole lot of, I mean, plot I'm, that, you know, we'll, we can we'll, just kind we'll, of go into. We'll do now. the plot real quick. Well, that was for my, the oh, okay. I'm already have written down here. But, um, yeah. well, here's what it says here in, uh, did you look at Wiki? Let me read the Wiki. Go ahead, yeah. Go ahead. It says, th- the narrative follows three interconnected perspectives. Yeah. Covering different but overlapping... Is this what you just read? No, no I read that. Okay. Covering uh, different but overlapping periods. On land, covering one week. On the sea, covering one day. And in the air, covering one hour. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. Um, the three parts interweave to create a nonlinear narrative. Um, an introductory ta- text says that in 1940, after the invasion of France by Nazi Germany, hundreds of thousands of Allied soldiers retreated to the seaside town of Dunkirk. As the Allied perimeter shrinks and German forces close in, the soldiers await evacuation in a seemingly hopeless situation. Right. And then there's three parts. The first is the mole, uh, second's the sea, mm-hmm. and the... Ah, oh, man, my phone just did that thing where it, like, skips. Okay, and the fourth... And the third is the air. Right. Um, and so the sea is primarily that story about um, the dude um, doing the private boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's um, the guy. Did you see Bridge of Spies? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, the, yeah, the guy. In the, he's the, the spy. In yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he basically has his own boat, and then he's got his son, and then his son's really good friend right, who, who right. wants to be helpful. And um, they um, pick up a soldier along the way, played by Kelly Murphy. And then uh, head to Dunkirk yeah. to evacuate even more soldiers. Killian Murphy is violently thrashing about because he's like, we can't go You're back that, there. Right. If we go there, we will die, right, he right. says. Um, so that's the sea portion. Uh, I went a little out of order. The mole portion okay. is, uh, this is the more personal, uh, takes longer story sure. of um, survival of, right. of a week. Right, all the that uh, were getting right off the beach. Yeah. And so it's basically played um, by uh, an actor, um, but also by... Um, uh, Harry Styles is a big part yeah, of the story. Yeah, He's yeah. like the, yeah. it's the two of them basically. Um, but what's interesting is it's got a good double meaning. So mm-hmm. it's called the mole instead of, I guess if there's if there's the sea in the air, the mole could have been land, mm-hmm. but instead they called it the mole. And and it actually turns out the mole is uh, the East Mole uh, in Dunkirk Harbor. Mm-hmm. So it's actually that that ramp thing um, that that's what you call you call that a mole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the, where the, where the boats pull up. Right, um, right, where they are moored. Right. Um, so that's interesting, and so it's like about that, but it's also about this concept of maybe somebody who's um, intercepting, like as a spy, into the group. Sure, sure. Um, and 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 it's also about like once life and death becomes a factor, um, how people, how quickly people turn on each other. A little bit of the same Belko experiment type concepts, but sure. you know what happens in in a war situation uh, when you know. A boat, there's a sinking ship and somebody's got to die to save the mm-hmm. ship how does that ensue um, and when good and evil emerges from that scenario um, that one also really does a good job handling the concept of did we win or are we losers that feeling that a lot of the soldiers had that they that you know their retreat is not something to be proud of even mm-hmm. though it totally is um, and that you know Harry Styles sees it that way like we're losers how am I going to look anyone in the eye and the other guy is very much like uh, you know, just sort of like I'm so glad I'm back, yeah. and we, you know I know I'm a hero. I don't have to yeah. say shit. Um, and then the sea, like we mentioned, is a silly Killian Murphy, and then the air is Tom Hardy, yeah. is Tom Hardy, yeah. and yeah. he's <laughs> in a plane, and basically you just see this cockpit view of him in a plane. It's very authentic. Sure. Um, it's it's he's just buzzing around. His yeah. fuel gauge is fucked up. So yeah. He doesn't know he's gonna run out of fuel. 
Um, and basically, he's making sure that these boats are able to evacuate by taking out other fighter planes. Right. What's really interesting about the whole story is how sparse it all was. It really is. That yeah, there's yeah. one or two or three planes. Yeah. That there's a couple boats. Because they didn't want to send them all in to just, just be destroyed. Yeah. Because Winston Churchill needed as big of an army as possible to, to do further right, events. Right. Um, and then the way that the public sort of stepped up with their boats, the way that the people there organized themselves, um, a great performance from Kenneth Branagh on land yeah, doing yeah. that, on the mole, actually. Uh-huh. Um, and then the, the air thing has a pretty dramatic climax for about 10 minutes where he's landing. Right. Um, so it's just, it's interesting. Um, so let's talk first a little bit about um, the narrative device of yeah. the week and the day and the hour. How did yep. you feel that worked? I thought it was a really interesting take and an interesting just way of going about it um i mean you obviously knew with a christopher nolan war movie there was going to be some kind of i don't want to say gimmick but gimmick's a, a great word for it for the I mean, yeah, angle. it is yeah an and angle. gimmick is not necessarily a bad word. it I mean, is like you know i mean sometimes it works you know um like i said he's done backward storytelling he's done you know concepts like dream sharing he's done now, crazy twists right he's done time travel and he's always been obsessed with non-linear storytelling and I mean, even, and so it's no surprise that he's going to apply that same theory and practice to this movie. Um, so, uh, well, first of all, I've seen a fair number of war movies over the years. I mean, both sure. old ones and new My favorite is Black Hawk Down, the Ridley Scott, mm-hmm. um, about the uh, failed U.S. mission to Somalia in 93. Um, but Saving and, Private Ryan is fantastic. Not, yeah, I yeah, mean, it's yeah. everybody's favorite, yeah. but it is one of the best like blockbuster war films. Right, right. I also right. really like Schindler's List, although it's not a war film. It sure. takes place during a war. That was a great movie. Sure. I can't believe I enjoyed it as much as I did. Sure. And so, but that's something you don't see as much as like the non-linear aspect. You know, you see in other war movies that are very gritty, very intense. and Your platoons, your full metal jackets, exactly. even psychedelic even. Exactly. But this idea of it playing out in um, different times, or even over the course of you know a week, is something you uh, we don't I don't really see much, and so I think it's a really interesting way um, to do this movie. So that's probably the thing I most I like the most about it. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as like what I thought of the overall movie, um, I came out you know really impressed by that the cinematic aspects. The um, it did not grip me as emotionally as much as like Interstellar and some of those other works. Um, I think there were there's definitely a lot of heart in it, and I really liked it overall. But there was something I felt that was a little missing the yes. more I thought about it. Yes, um, me too. Yeah, that was the feeling that I had coming out of it was this movie is getting these raves that I can't believe, like just like the, you know, no one's done it again. One yeah. of the best war movies of all time. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's it's so brilliant and poignant and moving mm-hmm. and intense and beautiful and and, and just 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 the, the the hyperbole coming out of it. You must see Dunkirk and you must see it in IMAX seventy mm-hmm. millimeter. Don't don't I don't care how long you have to wait. Yeah, yeah. I don't care how long how far you have to drive. Yeah. See it in IMAX seventy millimeter. It will change your life. Right, right. That kind of shit. Right, right. And when I heard that kind of stuff, I was like, wow, this must be some fucking movie, dude. Yeah. Um, and so and it's always annoying when you go in with those kind of expectations sure too, because, yeah, sure yeah, but but even yeah. without those that wouldn't have had an effect on me because I actually went in tempered because I'm not a huge horror movie fan okay, yeah, again yeah. it's that experiential thing of like it puts me through the ringer because I'm yeah, in this war I happen rough. to be a very empathetic person I don't say that as a brag it's actually a weakness in a lot of ways I feel things very strongly yeah, you in no, general yeah. and so 
when I see horrors on screen and I see like really intense emotional situations. For a short time, I can handle it, but when they go on long, it's hard to take in. It's yeah. intense, yeah, and yeah. so I was expecting to not have a great time, but to just you know see a, a, an excellent film that moved me. Yeah, yeah. Um, what I was surprised at is how little it moved me. Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't bad. It was it was good. Yeah, it yeah. gave me a really good scenario of what Dunkirk was about from sure. a lot of perspectives. Um, I think it was missing. I know it didn't want to do this, but I think that not showing the Nazis was a mistake. Huh. I okay. think that it, I think it, it lost something in okay. in not seeing the other side of the war, in not seeing the enemy, in not having any of that stuff. Now there are things that it does really brilliantly, like when it showed. I think it showed better than I've ever seen what it would be like to be with a bunch of people when the bombs come. Yeah, when somebody's yeah. bombing an area or a boat, yeah. I've never felt that so intensely and acutely. Yeah. When they all duck down and it's like one of us is, right. you know, every other person's going to die. Right. Is it going to be me? And then you pop your head up with such relief. Right. Holy right. shit. Right. Right. Would that be crazy? Yeah. The other one is when they're all in that boat about to escape and it gets bombed. Yeah. And then they're underwater submerged from total triumph and, 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 and eating sandwiches with joy. To, to total defeat terror, yeah. and terror and being like if they didn't find that little glimmer of water up there that'd be it yeah so that th- was a relentless moment for sure so those moments were just outstanding to sure. me um, the thing in the boat uh, where they were inside and the boat was getting shot with holes was, was good I didn't mm-hmm. love love it like I liked some of the other parts um, so I think it just as a cohesive whole as good as that um, mechanism was to show yeah. this, you know, in the three different time periods. I think I lost a little something by not spending the whole time with a certain group of characters. Yeah, or, and or yeah. something happened. Well, I think that's the thing too. It while it's incredibly ambitious to tell from deep, three different perspectives and um, try to get the whole picture, which is a really cool thing to do. You also do lose a little something by not getting as much to know these characters as much as you do in something else like i have written black hawk down has a huge ensemble but you get to know the core characters really well by you know even with all the turmoil going on in it there's some good exposition there's you know i mean a really heartfelt human story to it um so i think you know i like i don't even know how many names they even give of characters in the i mean not many i mean by the you know you have um and and I was surprised by how little Tom Hardy does. I mean, I know you just see like air, half his face. But, it's like yeah. Bane Part Two, right? Is I mean, I know hey, I'm in a plane. right. I know he's in the, but I still it, thought it could have been anyone. That could have been more. Yeah, it also could have been any any actor yeah, yeah, until yeah. he pops his mask off. You don't really even know who it is. It's right. just his eyes and. I don't know. Was it like Nolan missed Bane? Yeah, you know, he was like, I'm just plus the third time because they had Mad Max too. So he spent the last years in a mask over his yeah, head. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's, <laughs> a, that's a good point. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's interesting. So let's talk about um, the the stuff that, like, character stuff. So mm-hmm. what did you think of some of the acting? Like, let's talk about, like, Brana or uh, the captain of the uh, the um, vessel. I liked him the most. Yeah, me um, too. The, the Bridge um, of Spies dude. I'll find his name out. You uh, yeah. Um, I thought, uh, you know, um, yeah, there were some, like, kind of cheesy moments of, like, you know, no, this is our job. We have to. If we don't get um, the soldiers, it was no one kind of. But it was. I felt like, it. He pulled I, it. Mark Rylance. Put, Mark Rylance. He pulled yeah. it off to a point yeah, yeah. where I fully bought it. Yes. And when he was like, "There's no hiding from this." Song, right. Right. I was just like, "Damn." 
I really talks am. with authority, and he was ex-military, sure. which is really interesting. He spoke with authority, and I really like the relationship he had with his kids. I know. That was probably my favorite part of the movie. I'd say so, too. Definitely um, the most emotionally... Emotionally gripping, and and I liked that there were conflicts going on there on the boat, because especially once Killing Murphy gets there, and he's trying to get them to steer back, and... Um, so that added a really nice degree of tension to that storyline. That that said, one of my least favorite parts of the movie was the stupid kid getting hit in the head. Yeah. I hated that part. I don't care if it really happened. It doesn't seem realistic. Yeah. Why is that dude getting a bump on the head and dying? Only for just, like, trumped-up emotional. And for a movie that is so not like that. Yeah. It is a movie that's totally real in, in, in a way that it eschews traditional heartstring tugging for a story to really show you what this was like and then it tells gives you this like young you know strappy um lad who's just got a heart of gold and it comes on the ship and he just wants to do something for the country and prove his worth he's never had anything of any merit and they sell that so hard and the newspaper he's never been in and all this shit yeah and then he gets a bump in the head what so so what so killian murphy can feel more guilty as if war didn't rip him apart enough right like they could have found so many other ways to do that than to do this stupid kid getting his head hit i I didn't like that part it may have it may have regardless though i just don't like that being a big focus of it i just don't think that 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 should have been no that's fair yeah yeah i mean i get why they did it and it shows the it it really it was very good for demonstrating the uh emotional maturing of the son that was alive right when he when killian murphy asks for the fourth time is that kid gonna be okay right and he says yeah man he's fine right understanding that killian murphy's been through enough yeah instead of being angry and so a lot of this movie was about and it's a really good representation of that rising above the situation and becoming something better than what's around you uh-huh. um not sinking to the level of that war brings you to but rising above it yeah and above your own emotions and needs and desires and what you want again mark rylance piloting that ship you know it's very dangerous they could easily die they're yeah. going towards a horrible place that everyone wants to get away from um but yet they are transcending this horrendous situation same thing with brana and at the end he makes the decision to stay there and Mm -hmm. and he's like until we get more people off i'm not done my job and you know i i'm the the captain i have responsibility for these people um and then you have the lads you know and they're and they're you know story they're good yeah it wasn't bad um harry styles was was a good actor he wasn't a bad actor. Yeah. I kept thinking, man, I wonder if he pulled up his sleeve if there'd be tattoos on his Right. Because Harry Styles has mad, like, little kitty tattoos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Bieber does. Um, he's I like did the really British like, Bieber. Yeah. I did really like how the movie started out with the... Um, oh, I yeah. forget the, his name, but it's following him. Oh, that's the only time we see any kind of ground battle, but... Yeah. Um, he's it was the, very he's realistic. Streets. That's, yeah, that was the really, like, just heart-pounding intensity um i'd yeah, like to have seen more of yeah yeah and then um that's when he gets to the beach and that kind of kickstarts the mole storyline and you know now that i think more about it you're right um i or maybe this isn't what you were saying but but it, what you just said reminds me that it, it's not so much that i needed to see the nazis it's that i needed more of that action of them running from the bullets or the, or the, yeah, or the that yeah, intensity yeah, yeah. of because of... there are some really long stretches of where not a whole lot is going on and it's kind of, you know, I mean, yeah, the music keeps playing and, um, you and know, there's still it, swells, there's an intense feel, right. but there's not a lot of like immediate, you know, and to an extent, I think that's, that's what good. they were trying right. to do because 
they were trying to, you know, it's punctuated is, right. by by peacefulness and right. and, and and calm, and right. that's the whole idea of Dunkirk. Right. Is they're on this island, they're not in a war. Right. They're in a war in they're the larger to sense, yeah. but they're not right. It's an yeah. evacuation movie. It's not yeah. a war movie yeah. per yeah. se. Yeah. And I get that he was doing that, and he was successful in that. I think what it comes to for me is partially expectations and partially just that. It, it it was I mean I, and I liked that it was that it was shorter I sure. liked that it was an hour and forty minutes instead of two and a half hours like most war sure. movies are, but at the same time it, it 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 was missing something I I just wasn't feeling that normal way I feel coming out of sure. a Nolan movie and sure. I wasn't feeling the way I usually come out of a great war movie when I left not that it was bad and I love that it taught no, me so fair. much yeah. about the Dunkirk situation it gave me respect for the people and what they did I even liked the ambiguity of are we heroes. And that part where the guy says yeah, all we cool. did was escape, and the guy said that's enough, and that right. was that's true. I right. mean, that is, I mean, these are heroes. Anybody that's been in any war voluntarily, in my mind, is a hero. Yeah. Period. Um, and and it does a really good job of demonstrating that. And also, I understand that it's something that hasn't been demonstrated or shown very much in right. cinema. That was why he felt this desire to do it. So he did a serviceable job of it, even a creative job with yeah. an interesting arc. And I think it was you or somebody pointed out to me. I think it was it was Tim who pointed out to me that um, like. Those the outfit that he pulls on the at on the beach that other guy the mole yeah, yeah yeah like turned out to be like you see him taking it off a soldier at the beginning right and that turns out to be why he's dressed inaccurately later or whatever so just sure. that that was a reveal that you get later um, if you think back and sure, that's cool sure. he does things like that and that's and that's really a, a cool thing a cool thing to be doing um, I think though that that those couple scenes where I saw the submersion of the ship going down and where i saw them like in boats and struggling it was it was interesting mm-hmm. i mean I, the more i talk about it the more i i remember good moments sure sure so yeah i mean there's a lot to dissect about it and you know again i this is the only one i've only seen once too yeah. so um it's a lot to get but yeah i mean there's a lot i agree with you there i mean it's um there are parts that really amazed me and really blew me and then others that were just like kind of middle of the road yeah um it was good but yeah and then it, of course, ends with a very Nolan-esque montage sequence, and you see Tom Hardy on the beach there, and all the and all these things. Yeah, Blowing well, up his plane yeah. and getting oh, yeah. taken. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's very, very heroic yeah. and, 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 and all of that. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think about what else I wanted. There was something else I wanted to say. Um, oh, yeah. 70 millimeter. Mm-hmm. So I went to see it in 70 mil. Okay. You and I saw the roadshow of Hateful Eight. Yes. That did. was amazing yeah 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 and so i really wanted to see this in 70 millimeter as well mm-hmm. and i did um yeah what was that like um nothing special okay it wasn't like okay. the road show was i don't know why but i think for some reason those those snowy vistas and that beauty that you see yeah really made it worth it sure um and also the fact that they included the overture at the beginning made it yeah, feel like a totally cool. different experience and an intermission yeah. and an intermission yeah, yeah. and that they had an intermission and it yeah. was such a long movie that experience was like un- unlike any cinematic experience i've ever had yeah, at yeah. the movies in my lifetime it was cool this one was just like i went to see a movie and I probably should have seen it in IMAX, honestly, mm-hmm. because yeah. I could have. And all I ended up doing was seeing a normal movie. Mm-hmm. It just was on film. And and, and I'm a I'm a I'm, I like beautiful video. I like to be able to. I mean, no, it has a ridiculously high resolution compared sure. to even the high definition digital. Um, it was cool. I like when you see like the word come on the screen. It flickers a little, like movies used to. And so mm-hmm. it threw me back a little bit to like when I used to see movies before the age of digital, which I am yeah. old enough to have done. Um, but it didn't add anything really. Sure. Um, and I think it would have added a lot more to see the the, see, the most of the scenes that were filmed in IMAX. And then when you go onto the ship, 
um, and it's really tight quarters that that it shrinks down a little bit and makes you feel claustrophobic yeah. um, because you're used to it being a bigger, wider image. Sure. That would be would have been more impactful and more worth it. So people out there, if you're going to see this and you have the option of 70 millimeter, which is only like 100, 120 screens, so I yeah. felt privileged to see it. And I'm glad I did. But at the same time, I might recommend doing the IMAX experience. Um, I think IMAX would be really good for that. I saw this in a regular, but... I, this Why didn't you IMAX. choose IMAX? I, we, I was just, you know, with my dad and brother. Just grab what there was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's cool. I mean, really, it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, if there was an opportunity to see the, quote, 70 millimeter IMAX, which is like a whole nother level, yeah, apparently, yeah, yeah. and there's like, I think... 21 screens in the u.s yeah, showing it yeah. or something like that like that's that that would be worth doing but i sure. and i thought this was that when i signed up for the 70 mil but it, it wasn't sure. but it was still cool and you know they actually bought the film cameras from hateful eight from really? uh, from cool. the weinstein company cool. to be a not film cameras the film projectors Projector, yeah, in order yeah, to yeah, be able to yeah. project this show at all these theaters so I, I mean cool. that's that's really cool and and you know it i like that nolan is on the uh uh, anti 3D. Yeah, because yeah, I hate 3D. 3D is lame. Yeah. The only thing I ever saw in 3D that was good was Avatar. Yeah. Period. And it's a damn good thing the 3D was good. Valerian would, be else... kind of, would have been kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. Like I saw it regular, but yeah, there's very few where it act the filmmaker actually takes advantage of it. And it and damn it well better be recorded in 3D. Because yes. if you do aftermarket or after filming 3D, I, I don't even want to see it. I hate it. I don't even want to see it. Yeah. Like get that off there. You yeah. know, like yeah. let me see the film as it was laid down. Exactly. Please. Hate it. They've done that with 3D. like, yeah, Star every Wars and every Terminator single and, superhero yeah. movie that's hate ever it. come out. I hate it. It sucks. Why do I want to see some asshole yeah. going in and saying, "Ooh, let's make this part pop out yeah. of your eyes." Ooh, wouldn't, that be cool? wouldn't it be great if this felt like it was popping out at you? Let's throw you know, Captain America's shield at you. Yeah, it's awesome. And not yeah, actually have it stuff. really feel like it's coming. Right, out. right. It, it doesn't feel so like cheap, if it yeah. felt like it was about to hit me in the face, that'd be one thing. It doesn't. No, it's just no. like a little elevated. And what do I get to exchange for that? Like hurting ass eyes, right, watering right, ass right, eyes, right. uncomfortable fucking glasses I gotta wear. Yeah. Fucking shit. It sucks. Yeah. 3D fucking blows. The old, and glasses this 3D is a fantasy that just hasn't come out yet. And even if it did come out, who really gives a shit anyway? Tirade over. The point is that. 3D and, and and Nolan don't get along, and I'm kind of glad. Good for him. Yes. Yeah, he's awesome uh, at that. Um, so anyway, um, in summation, um, I guess we we have a filmmaker with one hell of a career, huh? Just a little. Yeah, and it, I mean, and you look at just the vast amount of genres he's worked in, um, the stylistic aspects, the actors he's worked with. I mean, um, he's now done a war movie, sci-fi movies, superhero noir space space drama all these things so um he said the only drama he just said he can't do is comedy which um because I that's, that. which i understand i mean like it, it because comedy is one of the hardest genres to work in and to get that kind of laugh and yeah and I, especially I mean, to do it well yeah um yeah. and especially to do it yeah, that's why the, the things like The Big Sick are, yeah, are yeah. so impressive to me, because yeah. to do a dramedy right is very hard. Oh, yeah. And actually, in a way, it's kind of the perfect genre. It kind of is, because we love comedy because it makes us happy. We love drama because it makes us feel things. Right. And then if you can have them Combine both, them. that's yeah. what life is. Yeah. So shouldn't that be what... I don't know. It seems yeah. like it seems like the ultimate um, realization of the form. To sure, me. sure. So interestingly yeah um all right man so well well we did it we're yeah. almost at two and a half hours man that yeah. dude's got a uh what do you call that a uh oeuvre 
or, yeah, or, yes. or whatever yes. you say yeah, yeah, yeah. to yeah. be really pompous. Um, but, I'm excited um, to see what he does next. I, do you have any idea yet? He hasn't announced any next projects. Um, I mean, he's been pretty much working on stop for the last year. I mean, you know, the, and he's had producer credits on other movies in yeah. between. So, um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he has other scripts uh, laying around mm -hmm. and um, things in early development. I wonder what he know? would do next, though. Like, what yeah. do you, where do you go from where here? Where do you go from Do you do, like, the third in, like, the Inception Interstellar? That's what I wonder. I want know, that. Like, yeah, I yeah. want that next evolution of that right, concept of him taking that. on hard sci-fi sure sure i think that would be really interesting i, I would I mean, love to see that but. it could be a you know be neat i don't know why this just came into my head but how about like a submarine movie or Ooh. a movie about like a sea creature uh Ooh. but done with nolan style like, you could pretty much say any sentence and say but like hey, no one's down, Nolan. yeah 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 right, right. Ideas, right yeah that's it, it would be great to see yeah, an yeah. undersea um uh, or a horror right it would be really, you know, that, he could, could do horror. That's, I, he, mean, I mean, Prestige is ending pretty much is yeah, horrible horror. Right. And um, you see so much of Hitchcock's influence um, in especially his earlier work mm. and in Dark Knight Trilogy. So. He could remake a Hitchcock. That would be interesting. Although unnecessary. Yeah, I Hitchcock kind of did yeah, it as good as it needs to be but done. But something akin to that. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Alrighty. Um, well, on that note, do uh, you have anything planned to watch next? I know you and I are going to go see It <laughs> and talk see about it. that. It and Kingsman are the ones I'm looking forward to in September. Um, aside from that, whatever. I, I want to see Valerian when it's yeah. available, yeah, but obviously I... <laughs> that crazy story. Can you believe that, man? What I can't believe, maybe even crazier, is that we didn't take a picture. What the hell were we thinking? I know, we should have. Yeah. Um, but, um, okay, cool. Well, I, I definitely want to see those. Um, oh, and I want to see this one... Um, and, and I'm going to drag you to it if, if you don't. You may want to go at that point. Okay. Uh, uh, what was it? Dead. Um, uh, happy. Oh, yeah, yeah, happy yeah, yeah, Death yeah, Day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Happy Death Day. Scott Lobdell. Scott Lobdell, Lobdell, the comic yeah, writer, yeah, yeah. Um, who is, is never done a film before, as far as I know, yeah, wrote okay. or yeah wrote Happy Death Day. And what it is is Groundhog Day meets Scream. Yeah. Um, and so there's like this like kid with like the, or, or adult with this creepy like baby looking mask, and he kills this girl one night. And then she gets to relive that day until she oh, catches the killer. That sounds that awesome. It is, yeah. So it's yeah. it's definitely going to be some uh, some good Halloween fun. Sure. Um, but until then, um, you can find us at um, thejoyofgeek.net for yep. written content. Um, you can find us at thejoyofgaming.com for our episode archive. Mm -hmm. It has both the Joy of Gaming and the Joy of Geek. Um, I'm probably going to talk about this more at the beginning of an episode. I forgot today. Um, but we definitely have we have changed our numbering system. Mm. So now um, instead of having and really the whole way we're doing it because we used to have you know the joy of uh, film, the joy of TV, the joy of comics. At this point, we're just doing the joy of geek and the joy of gaming. Joy of geek will have one of those things as a subject, right. or two, or three. Sure. When we talk about going to something, and the reason this has come up is when you talk about going to something like Comic Con. That we have to call those special editions, yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. they're and that's just getting messy and like we're on our tenth special edition. It's right. just time to just say we love all these things. We're right. going to talk about all these things, and then gaming gets its own show because it was sort of the first and 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 the way we uh, we started this whole adventure. Yeah, yeah. The flagship, eh, yeah, they're yeah. they're kind of both flagship at this yeah, point. Yeah. But anyway, um, you can check those things out there. Um, and then uh, you can go to Facebook and Twitter, although we don't yeah. hit those up as much as we should. Yeah, um, you can reach out. Where over. can they find uh, you? And you can find me on Twitter at kwshafe, um, on smanewstoday.com. I have a weekly column there. Um, and Ultimate... more, more new stuff to come soon. Hopefully, yes. Cool. Um, and then ultimatecomics.com, 
joygeek.net, yeah, various places on the internet. And, and then uh, I've got several comics projects in development right now I'm working on, so cool Probably anthology etc hopefully be able to make more announcements on that in the coming months but yeah awesome um you can find me at uh rich lapore on uh twitter although again i don't hit it up as much as i should all right what are you kevin shafe K- uh, at kw shafe that's yeah. right um anyway on that note i'm rich lapore kevin shafer and we will see you soon take care